2: for some
0: trouble anybody else's spider sense tingling welcome to walloping web snappers a spider-man podcast where we dive into every spider-man cartoon ever made I'm Derek.
1: And I'm Doug. And
0: is your spider sense tingling?
1: Oh, so much.
0: To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com.
1: And just a heads up, if it seems like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, you are. There's a part one to this episode. If you haven't listened to it, it's not necessarily required. But it is interesting stuff about production. So if you didn't listen to that, be sure to check that one out too. Well, um, I already mentioned that this movie ha- manages to juggle a lot of characters. So let's dive into who some of those characters are. We've mentioned to some of them and probably have missed some of them as well. So starting with the actual spider people in the... Well, I guess spider folks is probably better because not all of them are people? Humans? I don't know. We'll start pigs there. Are people, too. This, yeah, pigs are people. All right, all the spider people. Uh, obviously, Miles Morales is introduced in this film. He is Spider-Man. <laughs> um, and he's portrayed by Shamik Moore. And Shameik Moore hasn't got a ton of credits, but the stuff that he's done is really, really good. And I, I don't imagine that he will disappear anytime soon, especially after the success of this movie. He portrayed Malcolm in the 2015 movie Dope, which I think is sort of where he was first, not first noticed, but first sort of uh, noticed by the right people probably. Because I know he was in a Cartoon Network series before that that didn't do well. And then he was also in a Netflix series called The Get Down um, as a character called Shaolin Fantastic. And this is where the other Detective Pikachu (laughs) connection comes in, Uh uh, which I wasn't going to mention because it wasn't that strong. But Shamik Moore was in The Get Down with Justice Smith, who plays the main character in Detective Pikachu.
0: Oh, neat. Okay, cool.
1: Yeah. And that movie also, you know, is, is, is... all about music and about hip hop in the early, early days of hip hop. So, um, if you, if you appreciate a lot of the stuff that they were doing with the music in this and you like music, I would, I would highly recommend that series. It wasn't watched by enough people in my opinion. So, uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't you know, seen it. It's already been canceled, but give it a look. Cool. <laughs> when you first
0: started talking, I thought you were saying that Detective Pikachu was all about, like, music and hip-hop. And I was like, wait, what? No. No.
1: <laughs> no, but there is a DJ that, that, like, uses Pokemon as as uh, his amplifiers. <laughs> ah that makes sense actually (laughs) but uh no 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 just uh just an actor connection a seven degrees type of thing if you will
0: (laughs) yeah uh he's so good and he is really good he he really is he's he's so he's so good it's such a it could have easily been a really hard role because i think it would have been really easy to play miles a little too like whiny in this movie but he's so like relatable immediately and so sympathetic and like uh, he's he's so great. Miles is a character. I think it, it it's really fascinating because I feel like it took a while to to kind of establish who he is in general, not just in this movie. Like this movie, I think gets his character like perfectly right yeah but i think like it took a while to figure out exactly what miles was all about and i feel like this year alone weirdly like has been a really an extremely or not this year 2018 i should say yeah. was just like a really great like miles morales year because we got this movie we mm-hmm. got him in the spider-man ps4 game yep. um which he's portrayed by a different but still very good actor he has a role in the current spider-man cartoon mm-hmm. and the current copy That he's in launched and he's in is really good, yeah. And it's like all of them. I I think, I think the thing that like people struggled with with Miles initially, I feel like was just like, well, how is he different from Peter Parker, really? Other than just being like not a white kid, basically. And I feel like they've really figured out like a really unique voice for him where like he does have a lot of similarities with Peter, but he also has a very like his, his worldview is so different and his home life is so different. And like the way that like he interacts with the world is so different. And it's so, it's so cool that we've gotten like just, just this crazy like barrage of of different versions of him, like all at once that have all been like slightly different, but all like, still feeling cohesive and all really like solid.
1: Well, the thing about Miles Morales is that when you consider all the different versions of Spider-Man and Spider-People and not just Peter Parker's, but just people with spider powers, so many of them, so, 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 so many of them, especially with regards to the Spider-Verse, are variations of Peter's story. Miles isn't a variation of Peter's story. And so getting the pieces and parts Right, I think probably would take a little bit longer cuz you weren't just saying, okay, well what if Peter were swapped with Aunt May or what if Peter were swapped with Flash Thompson. You know like so many alternate versions of Spider-Man are just that. Even mm-hmm. even Gwen, you know, it's a lot of the same pieces that were on the board but they put them into different places, you know. Right. Miles is not that. <laughs> Miles is connected to Peter because he exists in a universe with a Peter, but his story is is his story and I think the specifics are different and they have gotten to a point where they they feel super authentic but the things that make you connect with him are just as strong as with with Peter I think. Yes. And and it's cool that 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 he's been embraced in the way that he has at this point because Peter Parker's existed for so long that it's nice to be able to have an older Peter Parker next to a younger Miles Morales as opposed to having to have an older Peter Parker and a rebooted younger Peter Parker. You know what I mean?
0: Yes, I completely agree.
1: So it's nice having both of them there. I think it allows Peter Parker to breathe as an older character.
0: Yes, which this movie embraces wholeheartedly wholeheartedly too. Big time. Yeah, I guess, speaking of which, the other, uh, the other, <laughs> the uh, the kind of second lead to this movie um, is Peter B. Parker, uh, which is the second Peter Parker in this movie. We're introduced with yes, also known as a character called Spider-Man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a lot of characters just called Spider-Man. <laughs>
0: yeah, interesting that. He's portrayed by Jake Johnson, who, as we said, uh, he's on New Girl, playing the character Nick, um, who's basically the same character as this version of Peter Parker. But <laughs> <laughs> it's great. He's very good in the role. He's also going to be in an upcoming crime drama called Stump Town as the character Gray McConnell. Never heard of that. but Yeah, uh, I tried him. to
1: pick like just, you know, a couple <laughs> things here and there because yeah. there's so many characters and that's upcoming and seems very different than this. So. Sure. You know, I don't know. Check it out. We'll see. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, he, he's such a fascinating Peter Parker. Like this, this, this version of him, because it's like comics, as we know, have, have tried to keep him a young man for a long time. It's like Spider Man's mm-hmm. about youth, which is true to an extent, but like it doesn't have to be, right? No. Um, so, so we've either seen that end or we've seen like Spider Man Reign where he's like an old yeah. guy. This is sort of like an interesting middle ground because he's not necessarily like darker, you know? Like he's no. just, this is just Peter operating like on, it, it it like kind of it, it makes it makes a lot of sense for who peter is like mm-hmm. the guy with the parker luck where everything goes bad right. for him if it just continues to go bad for him the rest of his life as he's still struggling to like be a good person and still having a good heart, it makes sense that he's going to end at this point where he is just kind of like kind of like a schlubby loser, but like yeah. you still you still feel for him. Like he's not it's not really his fault, but it also kind of is his fault a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. This is the Peter Parker that doesn't get to keep all the stuff you rooted for him to eventually get.
0: Yeah, which again, like we've never really We've never really seen that, at least not to this extent. So it's it's real cool. And I think that's that's a beef that some people have with this movie. They didn't really like where they took Peter Parker in it, but I think it's really interesting, you know?
1: I um, that's that's uh I that's such a silly beef to me when you have literally two Peter Parkers and the whole concept is that there are infinite Peter Parkers.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, like this is I, I think they I think they establish well enough that Peter B. Parker is not a Peter Parker established in any other media like this is a peter parker unique to this movie
0: Mm, i think a lot of people's arguments is that they try it's it's really subtle, but, like, when, you, when you're when you introduced to the first Peter Parker, or the younger one that's, like, the more yeah. successful one, and they sort of deliberately, like, do these spins on the Raimi movies, but mm-hmm. they aren't exactly the same. Like, they, they flip, like, Mary Jane is the yeah. one who's upside down kissing him. And then when they show Peter B. Parker, they show some of those things again, but portrayed, like, how they were in the movies, right? Um, yeah. So I think some people kind of took that as meaning, like, We're supposed to understand that this Peter Parker is our Peter Parker. I don't. I think that's a little bit like silly because you're taking things a little too literal. But even like I I remember tons of articles coming out being like, "Is this Peter Parker the Tobey Maguire Peter Parker?" Because it shows scenes from from Spider-Man and like the Spider-Man movie, and it's like, or they're just making references. There were also really
1: good responses to that that said, "You're missing the point." (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I think I think if you get too tied up when it comes to multiverses especially, if you get too tied up in assigning any given character to a character you've already seen, you're playing with fire mm-hmm. because the whole thing with with multiverses is is sort of a butterfly effect, right? So in this movie Dr. Octavius who we haven't talked about yet when she's talking about the multiverse she says there is a universe where I'm wearing red and leather pants that's what she chooses to highlight as a yeah. different universe you know what I mean <laughs> so like you could literally have a universe th- where it's everything that happened in the Raimi movies except for this one thing and then guess what it's a totally different character yeah. so that's how I always interpret stuff like this you know Yeah. and why true. not don't you want like a million different what ifs and alternate universes and that's just me though i guess
0: yeah no no i think that that makes i think that makes perfect sense i think that's really what they're going for i think that's i i kind of agree with that i think it is interesting to think of like i know that in the in the original pitch for Spider-Man Four, one of the plot points that like Raimi just couldn't like figure out how to make it work without <laughs> it being terrible. Yeah. Um, which is like why he likes, why he like kind of quit the project and that movie didn't happen. Was that like, one of the plot points was that Peter and Mary Jane were going to get divorced. <laughs> and I, so I sort of like, like, who thinking, would be
1: rooting for that?
0: R- exactly. Right. <laughs> but I sort of think of like this version of Peter Parker being like, if Spider-Man four happened, <laughs> and maybe this sort of ended up being like the result of him because it's weird because he is different than like Tobey Maguire. But I think like you can sort of track a similar character yeah. progression to lead to this point. Like obviously there are differences, right? Like he doesn't have Tobey Maguire's like organic like gluten-free webbing. He has the, <laughs> artisan, the artisan handmade web shooters. Right? right. So obviously it's not the same, which is why it's sort of like, you can't take it literally, but I think the fact that it sort of opens that up to, to to think about is what makes it really fun because yeah, like you said, ultimate multiverse like or not ultimate, unlimited multiverses. <laughs> traded one spider-man term for another spider-man yeah
1: term. we didn't use that one at the top unlimited <laughs> yeah.
0: unlimited unlimited spider-man universes you're gonna have like yeah like you said it's gonna be like similar to things that we've seen but just like slight yeah. variations on it it's gonna be he he lived the version of spider-man 3 that was like edited down a little bit and had some of the alternate scenes put in and <laughs> that we got yeah yeah so yeah yeah it's cool i think it it almost makes the conversation more interesting the fact that like Some of these things cross over and some of them don't.
1: No, I I, I think the mix of it is is more interesting too. Right, right. (laughs) Well, we've mentioned her. Um, Gwen Stacy is in this movie. She is Spider Woman or um, frequently referred to as Spider Gwen because that's the name of her comic. Um, And she is portrayed by Haley Steinfeld, who probably is most recognizable for being in Pitch Perfect and Bumblebee. She in Pitch Perfect is the new girl in the second movie. And um, she is the starring uh, character of Charlie in Bumblebee.
0: Yes. She, did you, have you seen um, the True Grit remake from like 2010? No. That was, I think, I think that might've been her breakout role. I don't know oh. if she was in stuff before then. She's very young in it. She's okay. so good in that movie. I highly recommend it. It's a really, really, really good movie. And yeah. I don't, I don't like Westerns normally, but uh, it's fabulous. <laughs> and Jeff Bridges is also in it and very good. Yeah. And very good looking. Well, and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yeah, she's really, she's, she's very fun in the role. We've talked a lot about Gwen already as like a character, yeah. but yeah, she's, she's, she's really, um she's really fun. And I mean, I hadn't read any of the Spider Gwen comics before, so Ooh. like some of the stuff was sort of a surprise to me. But okay. it's gotten me; it's like on Ooh. my list to read. I know they have some of them on on my hoopla. So okay, I'll so check can
1: out. I? Okay, well then maybe I won't ask you that question if you're trying to read it. But um, mm. Mm, I don't know how to ask this question without poten- Well, it's, it's in the movie. I've, I've it's some in the stuff. movie.
0: The, the Peter Lizard thing.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I knew it's I, like I, I in the movie, that, but yeah. it's very, very quick. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually really appreciate how they did that where if you're if you aren't looking at like the the details necessarily it could go by and without you necessarily connecting the dots. Yeah. But yeah. uh I I don't know why you wouldn't have noticed that though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think I knew that ahead of cuz I even before she was in this movie I like Yeah read a little bit so i knew that he was the lizard in it i didn't know the context for it or that he was like her best friend or whatever yeah. but yeah so i know a little bit of that but i thought which yeah i agree it was done really really nicely uh, all of the references in this movie i think references in this movie are done really well because mm-hmm. it's never a thing where i feel like you would feel like out to sea if you weren't super into spider-man you know yeah. like i feel like you understand everything you need to understand and everything else is just icing on the cake for it
1: and and, and gwen stacy's background is a perfect example of them not falling into the trap of going too deep into any given thing that's not a main storyline. You know what I mean? Actually, not just her. The fact that they they do the running gag of, you know, let's do this one last time, and then they do origin story over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. I mean, that joke works because they did it so well. Yeah. They really, really balanced, you know, exactly what was needed to understand any given character. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm actually really excited to see what Haley Steinfeld does moving forward because of the stuff that she's been in so far. And just the way that the directors talked about her, like they just and producers talked about her. They just seemed like really, I don't know if it's because she's young, but they seemed like really surprised and impressed with how she did.
0: (laughs) Cool. Yeah. Yeah. She seems very, very, very talented. Mm -hmm. So I am excited to see where her career goes as well. Yeah. (laughs) Another Peter Parker that we have uh, is Spider-Man Noir played by (laughs) Nicholas freaking Cage, (laughs) which is just like, I can't, I I really, I don't even know. How did they get that idea? Like, how do do you you remember
1: learning about it though? (laughs) Do you remember, like, do you remember where you were when you first read? (laughs) Um, I don't know if I remember where I was, but I remember like how I felt and I was just like. Oh my God. Yeah. It's perfect. (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, I'll be honest with you. Like I didn't take this movie very seriously. Even when they, when they released the first, that really first like teaser trailer, like footage where it was like miles in his full Spider-Man regalia, like running on the subway and they Uh show off some of their effects. And I was just like, it looks cool. But I mean, it felt, I was afraid. I really felt like it was going to be either just a really super experimental movie that like didn't have a heart to it. Or it was just going to feel like another, like, direct-to-DVD movie that they just happened to release in theaters. Uh Uh-huh. So, like, I feel like the Nicolas Cage thing was the first time I was just like, wait, so is this going to be, like, a real movie? Like, where they're (laughs) actually, like, spending a lot of money on it? or Or is this going to be, like, a stunt casting thing? Yeah. Which... It was both, but it was perfect. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: I mean, it, it, if it was stunt casting, then uh, they got way more than they bargained for. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's really, really perfect. I mean, it's so perfect that apparently after Nicolas Cage came in the, for the first day of doing voice work, you know, he got, he got a set of notes or whatever. I guess however he was delivering it, he was, you know, caught up in whatever he thought it was supposed to be. And he, he was getting notes and, and finally just said, like, do you want me to go full cage? Like is that is that what we're doing? And I guess they must have just said like, "Yep, full cage."
0: <laughs> it's cool that he has that self awareness. I never knew yeah. that about. I just assumed that like he didn't, but it, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, i i i do I do the same thing where I assume that that people who have become caricatures of themselves aren't fully aware. Like i I tend to think that the caricaturization of a person requires them to not be aware. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm very wrong. Because uh, the fact that he used that phrase to describe their notes, <laughs> it's, like, kind of incredible. And I think that's, like, a secondhand story, so who knows? But I'm choosing to believe it. It came from the features. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, I feel like you can't be, like, in, like, left behind and, like, take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you know? Like, you have to have some self awareness for, like, what you're doing. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I know Glad to know he's, he's a... one of them. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Another character is uh, Penny Parker. Her alter ego, do you, I don't know, is
1: it... It's S-P-D-R.
0: Okay, S-P-D-R. S-P-S-P-slash-slash-D-R.
1: Yes. Um. <laughs> she's from the year 30-something-something, so spelling's very different. <laughs>
0: Apparently. You know, it looks futuristic and robotic and cool. That's yeah. all that matters. But yeah. she's great. It doesn't matter. <laughs> she's portrayed by uh, Kamiko Glenn, who is best known as Soso from Orange is the New Black. Yes. Great casting, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, great casting in, like... <sighs> I mean, this is part of the casting, but just like her voice is so perfect inherently for the type of character that Penny plays in this movie, which Mm -hmm. is super cute, but also like a mile a minute information.
0: Yes. And it's still like, it has that sort of, um, the same like vocal style that like, I, I know that they, they modeled some of her animation after like Sailor Moon. Yeah. But it almost like, it still has sort of like that very kind of old school dubbing style to it. Yeah. Yeah. So where it's, it's like, just, a,
1: it's sort of fast paced and sort of like, it has just a really, like it's uh, high frequency isn't the right way to describe it because it, we're talking about audio, but uh, like I don't energy, know. Like high energy, I guess. Yeah. I it's mean, high energy. It's like many, many beats per second.
0: Yeah. where. Um, It almost seems like they recorded the lines and then like sped it up to like one like two times speed all, all the time, but I don't think they actually did. I'm pretty sure no. she's just talking that fast. That's that's her voice. I <laughs> mean, like, like she's
1: she um. I mean, I, I I don't want to discount her acting by any stretch of the imagination, but like that's what she sounds like. That's that's how she talks on Orange Is the New Black. That's how yeah. she you know she she literally could have come in and just like read the script and I they could have used it. <laughs> yeah, I know that's... she did more than that because she's a talented actress. But yeah, you know there are some characters in this movie whose actors really did some wild vocal gymnastics, it seems like, and I didn't recognize them. Mm-hmm. And then there's Kimiko Glenn, who I feel like I sort of recognized right away and it still ended up perfect. You know, it's it's wild to me that like, mm-hmm. there are some people who are doing all these sort of wild techniques to land on a voice and hers just fit perfectly. And I guess that's that's just voice acting. Sometimes <laughs> your voice is perfect for a particular thing and sometimes you, uh, you kind of do whatever it takes and, and sound totally different, you know?
0: Yep, yep. She has some good emotional moments too. I get... Yeah. I get legit emotional when a uh, when a robot dies. It's really yeah. sad, and like yeah. it, which is is a, such a it's such an interesting facet of this movie because kind of the the, the like Penny and then and then Spider Ham and Noir are definitely sort of, like, the supporting players of the Spider-People. Like, they really don't. They don't get a lot of screen time, comparatively, Mm -hmm. but there's so everything is so well-written where, like, every line that they have, even if it's a joke or it's, like, exposition, still informs their character in some way. So, like, you still... They still feel so fleshed out, even in the very brief screen time they have, so that you can still have these really nice, like, emotional moments or, like, little pinpoints on their arc that work so well like that. So, Yeah. yeah. And I think Definitely part of it is a testament to how good the voice acting is on this movie. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I think the next the next character on, on our list, at least, is a perfect example of maximizing <laughs> that limited screen time because John Mulaney plays the character of Peter Porker or Spider-Ham. And um, Lord Miller even said, you know, he doesn't get a lot of time, but holy smokes, does he fill that character out, you know? Mm-hmm. My gosh. I, I don't really know John Mulaney. So I, you know, when I heard Spider-Ham... I was like, oh my gosh, like he's doing such a good job nailing that that vocal quality and that affect and that dialect and all that sort of stuff. And then I watched an extra with John Mullaney, like an extra feature, and I was like, wait, he just kind of actually talks like that? <laughs> you know, like it's 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 wild yeah. to believe. I think I think uh <laughs> I think Phil Lord and Chris Miller even said like our first thought would have been to hire somebody decades older than him. <laughs> we didn't think of him, you know? And and uh, once we heard him talk, we were like, that's actually it. Like, that's, that's exactly what we were envisioning. Hilarious. Yeah. Because he has like that old timey, I don't, is it Northeast? Whatever that. It's like mid- the Mid-Atlantic. Or yes, that Mid-Atlantic, 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 that's yeah. it. Yeah,
0: yeah, the Mid-Atlantic accent that like actors used to do in like yeah. 20s, 30s, 40s. like whenever you watch any of those movies and you're like why do they talk so weird yeah it's like that particular accent yeah and he just he just has it for some reason (laughs) i mean he
1: certainly turns it up to 11 but even when he's just regularly talking he's not that far off yeah (laughs) it's wild (laughs) <laughs> it's really great, and I I'm excited to look at look at other stuff he's in. He's actually not in that much uh, from an acting perspective. He's a stand-up comedian and a writer, so I think mm-hmm. a lot of what he does ends up being on the page. But he he did write for nearly a hundred episodes of of Saturday Night Live, and appears I think in um you know maybe seven or eight episodes of it, something mm-hmm.
0: like that. He had a sitcom for like a hot second, but I don't oh that's right, I think
1: he had a show. Wasn't it just literally called Mulaney? Yeah. Yeah, I've not, I've not seen that Me either. <laughs> We're part of the problem.
0: <laughs> I definitely missed the boat on Mulaney, like when he first happened, because I feel like he just appeared at one point and everyone was like talking about it, and I was like, okay. <laughs> but like, so, what
1: was the cultural moment with him? I don't because... know. You know, like looking know. at his credits, it's, it's, you know, there isn't a, um, I don't know.
0: I think it was just his, his up specials. I think okay. people, people really like to stand up because there's, there's bits that I've heard people mm. that I've heard people, um, like kind of memify a lot.
1: Was it like a Netflix special? Cause I know Netflix has done very, very interesting things for stand up yeah, you know, like, think, um, as far as so. like reaching a totally new and wide audience. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure because I know that I I watched like part of one of his like at one time. It was before like he was a th- he. I knew that he was yeah. a big deal, so I was just like, "Who's this rando?" <laughs> okay, I don't really
1: care. <laughs> Who's this rando <laughs> who I'm learning wrote for a hundred episodes of Saturday Night Live? Yep. I wouldn't like, have known, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm I'm so detached from like the stand up comedy world other yeah. than like the very few that I follow. So I totally acknowledge that that's my blind spot. Yeah, I don't thing. know anything about it either. <laughs> yeah, so obviously he's a big deal for a reason, and any time, any meme I've ever seen come by that has like his quotes on it. Like I recognize as funny. So I'll watch him at some point. I think he's yeah. good. He's obviously a really good performer. So yeah. <laughs> uh, nailed it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so good.
0: Mm-hmm. The other like umpteenth Peter Parker in this movie.
1: This blew my Mind.
0: Too. I think they kept it under wraps. Like I never heard. I mean, I, I feel like I don't feel like this was a thing that was like Chris Pine is in this movie. Like, right. I, yeah. So the first. The, Peter it definitely Parker,
1: wasn't. They, they did not advertise that. <laughs>
0: yeah. It was such a great surprise. The first Peter Parker we see, the younger, successful 26 year old blonde one is portrayed by Chris Pine. Um, he's, Which he's, I
1: didn't even pick up on when I was watching the movie.
0: Me either. He I knew... and
1: Jake Johnson are similar enough or were instructed to be similar mm-hmm. enough that I just thought Jake Johnson was playing a different version of himself. Me
0: too. I, Cause I knew that Jake Johnson was in the movie. And so yeah. I was just like, Oh, he's pretty, he sounds really heroic in this. Yeah. I didn't realize he would be performing it like that. Yeah. No. Blew my mind. And such a, it's like such an like un- unnecessary casting thing, but it, it works so well. Like it's so perfect.
1: Oh, I love that they did it. Me too. And, yeah. and I think they, if they hadn't found the right pairing of voices, they very easily could have gotten away with just using Jake Johnson. You know what I mean? Right. But there's something just really impressive or maybe serendipitous about the fact that Chris Pine and Jake Johnson don't really, it's not that they sound the same. It's just that they sound similar enough.
0: You could believe that Chris Pine is like a younger, younger, very like alternate, like timeline version of him. Like, it's not like they have the same voice. It's just that like they have, there's like the sort of like, when we talk about like, Frank Welker, yeah, like, always sounded like Frank Welker, even though he has really great range. Uh-huh. Like I don't, I'm sure there's like a voice actor term for it, but like right. that specific like quality or affect or whatever, that sound of their voice, that's kind yeah. of the base. They both have that same bass sound, mm-hmm. even, but their performances couldn't be more different. Right, um, like their delivery is so different. Chris Pine is actually a really good Spider-Man. Actually, he is. He, he nails like the snarky quips, but he, but it's still always, but you, all of his lines still have that kind of like that kind of like back like heaviness to it that you need that peter parker like has you know or that you would expect him to have where it's just sort of like you still kind of feel the weight of the world in his shoulders but he's still taking all of like this terrible stuff in stride which chris pine like does swimmingly he's james t kirk in the current star trek reboot film series as well as steve trevor in wonder woman he's one of those guys that's, like, touching every, like, major franchise in some way. So, like, of course he's going to be Spider-Man. And it's, like, they finally got the the quadrilogy of Chris's in the Mm. marvel universe now that's right that's
1: right (laughs) it's happened
0: hemsworth pratt and uh evans Uh have now all been in a marvel movie of some kind
1: that's true yeah yeah so he he plays such a good successful star spider-man yeah and when you consider that he plays james t kirk who's sort of this like especially his version (laughs) of james kirk this sort of like cocky, self-assured, kind of entitled, actually definitely entitled if we're talking about Kirk. But some of that even carries over into his version of Spider-Man, which is a version of Spider-Man that's like love, like he's the version of Spider-Man that is actually loved by the city at this point. Yeah. So much so that he like has a CD on Spotify, like an album on Spotify. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like people eat him up and he knows it.
0: Which speaking of which, have you, have you downloaded like the whole Spidey Christmas album? I think I've listened they, to uh, it.
1: I think I probably listened to it around Christmas, but I, I don't like have it in regular rotation. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, well, me either. I mean it's you know, it is what it is. But yeah. but he has a really good like singing yeah. voice. <laughs> yeah. It's it's I think that was one of the things that the producers had said about him. Like they pitched the uh the idea as like a joke, but then they're like, Oh wait, you can really sing. So I could see them being
1: like, Oh, wouldn't it be like we thought we would make you do this, but like we decided we're not gonna make you do that, that'd be cruel and he was like, No, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope that's how it went. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And then I'm so excited about this next one. Oh, yeah. It's so tiny. And it's, it's the one Spider-Man that I was like most eager to see appear in some way, shape, or form in the movie, to be totally honest, because I already sure. knew we were getting Miles, and I knew we were getting Gwen. So I was like, all right, who else would I want? And I wanted Miguel O'Hara. I knew it wouldn't be a big thing. I knew that if he were in there, he wouldn't be a big character, but I wanted something. And I was like so crushed when I got to the end of the movie, and he never appeared. And then, <laughs> and then... The post credit scene happened and we got Miguel O'Hara and I knew the moment they said, well, I guess it, this wasn't like a, a hard illusion to get, but they, they said somewhere in Nueva York and I literally cheered in the theater. I was like so pumped. Nice. I was so excited. <laughs> um, so yeah, Miguel O'Hara does appear. He is uh, the protagonist of Spider-Man 2099 and Amazing. miguel o'hara is portrayed by freaking oscar isaac who is poe dameron in the star wars sequel trilogy and was apocalypse in x-men apocalypse and is in a ton of other stuff like this is a not that these other people aren't busy there are a lot Mm -hmm. of big names but like the fact that oscar isaac plays miguel for like what 60 seconds yeah (laughs) it's like yeah so amazing and I i know that they cast him so that they could use him later but it's amazing It's
0: genius. It's so it's so genius because he's he's so perfect in the role, you know. Yes, (laughs) yeah. And it's so like he's one of those actors. I don't know like how it happened. He just like appeared at one point. Like I feel like. I feel like people notice him with like Ex Machina, maybe, and then he just here yeah. in everything. He's then he in blew like up everything. He just blew up. Everyone knows who he is. Yeah. And it's sort of like if you don't recognize his voice when you see the movie, then you're. But then it's someone's like, oh, that was Oscar Isaac, and they're like, whoa, what that guy? Like, right. Well, and even yeah. if you
1: don't recognize your like his name, he's like, no, like he's the one in the Star Wars movies. Like, you know what I mean? If you <laughs> yeah. can say that, like. Dude, he's in the Star Wars movies. That it's right. a big deal,
0: right? right. <laughs> oh man, I'm so excited to see where they go with the sequel. Or it would almost be cool if like he's never a main character and he's always just kind of like just on the I'm sidelines fine with that. for everything. I think that'd be really fun,
1: actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause his, you know, I, w- there's no reason we couldn't talk about this now. Cause it's a post-credit scene. It doesn't really fit into anywhere, but his whole thing is that he's experimenting with dimension hopping technology. Yeah. And so our post-credit scene is basically to let us know that like, we could get more dimension hopping. Like this is still open. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm very excited about that. The fact that he's apparently the one who could be the catalyst for that is very, very exciting, especially yes. given the personality that Oscar Isaac has given to that character. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sort of like fun, like assuredness. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh, man. I'm so excited for the future of the uh, me of too. This film series. Yeah. So that's,
1: I mean, that's one of the spider people I really, really, really wanted that I wasn't sure if we were going to get. Were there any that you were like, any any that you weren't 100% sure we'd get, but we're hoping for?
0: You know, not, that that was, I think that was the one for me that I, okay. that I figured. There wasn't really, yeah, there wasn't really any others that I was really rooting for because the fact that they got like spider ham in this movie was enough yeah. for me, to be honest. So... I guess like, <laughs> I,
1: because I didn't know to what extent since they were going to explore the concept of the spider verse mm-hmm. i just had no idea like how many are they going to throw in there like is it is it going to hit yeah. a point where we see a full sort of pan across the screen cast of obscure but sp- not miguel o'hara is not obscure but like obscure spider people yeah so i had no idea
0: I was expecting there to be a point where they like go into the multiverse or something and then get glimpses of all kinds. And that's where they throw all the references. I'm sort of glad they didn't do that because there was no point in the movie where like they could have done that and it would have worked. But also like it kind of leaves it open for there to be even more surprises for Mm -hmm. who could possibly be in future movies. Right. Rounding out the cast, there's still, there's a lot of really great like supporting players in this movie too. That again, if they aren't like fully fleshed out, they feel like lived in and real. Yeah. One of the most major like supporting characters is Jefferson Davis, Miles' dad, who's so fun. Oh, he's yeah. Per- he's portrayed by Brian Tyree Henry. He is known for Paperboy in Atlanta alongside Donald Glover. Great show, by the way. Um, he's about to appear in a number of big name films, including Child's Play, joker godzilla versus kong and a quiet place too (laughs) you know how we talk about those
1: people that like just appear one day and then you see them in everything Mm -hmm. i think he's gonna be one of those people yeah based on like his upcoming list of anticipated films over the next two years like obviously there are plenty of actors who will have you know a dozen films over three whatever you know but his agent's doing something right putting him into these types of films
0: right was even he? if he's
1: not a big character in Joker or a big character in Child's Play just the fact that like he's got these big sort of blockbustery type credits coming mm-hmm. up uh, it's a big it's a big deal
0: well, he's a, he's always really, um, he's really, he's always really instantly recognizable. Even if you don't know who he is, like he's mm-hmm. memorable, I think is what it is. Like he has yeah. a really great energy to him. I think it was really interesting because he, he's a, he's a young guy. He's a really young guy playing kind of a, what's supposed to be kind of an older character, but he, he plays it so well. He says such like dad energy to him. <laughs> yeah, so, he so really great.
1: does. And it's impressive because he is a younger guy. I mean, clearly he's a good actor, but, uh, yeah, it, it surprised me when I found out who, who, who that was. <laughs> it's like, you're doing dad like almost too well.
0: I know. <laughs> <laughs> We've also got uh, Miles's mom, Rio Morales, portrayed by Luna Lauren Velez. I'm not really familiar with this actress. She was Maria on Dexter, which I didn't watch very much of. So
1: I didn't watch any of it, but I I feel like that's probably what people know her from. I don't I know. imagine
0: so. Either way, I like her. I like her in the role. Fi- yeah. Like she's fine. You know, she doesn't. She doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah. But she's a. She's a none of the characters in this movie like aren't likable or anything. Like everybody puts on a good performance. And one thing I'll just like say about her character. I really like how this movie like utilizes Spanish. Yeah. um, Because she, you know, she's, she's a Latina character miles is bilingual so like they kind of swap out english and spanish when they're talking mm-hmm. to each other and the movie doesn't translate it the subtitles don't say like speaks in spanish or whatever they actually have these spanish words and subtitles yeah. on the dvd at least
1: it feels really really authentic because the way that yeah. he's interacting with her when she speaks in spanish sometimes he responds in spanish sometimes he doesn't but it's realistic that if he grew up with a spanish-speaking mom he understands her like i know right. so many people who <laughs> who speak both languages to their spanish-speaking parents or grandparents you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i know so many people who do that and so i was just kind of like oh that's that's (laughs) that feels so real
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and like you don't need the translation either because you can always tell like what they're talking about even if you don't know any spanish like the only point the only time they ever do a translation i think is like they translate like one of scorpion's lines for a joke and it says like translated from spanish as if it's a comic panel so like i i love the way that like they treat they they sort of normalize it one of the main one of the things about this movie that's so great is like kind of normalizing miles's home and everything mm-hmm. uh, given that it's not a thing that you see in like mainstream media very often
1: right i really really hope that rio has a bigger role in the next movie because i just like her as a character i think she's yeah. great
0: yeah i know she has a pretty decent sized role like in the comics too mm-hmm. so yeah yeah that'll be cool that'll be cool
1: um i love this uh we get may parker this is this is the first peter parker's aunt may so this is the the aunt of the peter parker who dies in this movie and she's played by lily tomlin oh so good most Uh, recently is most recognizable from frankie on grace's frankie but is in plenty of things and is great in all things
0: yes and she's she's
1: so good as may
0: she's such a good aunt may like it's i feel like one thing that pretty much every Spider-Man movie has gotten right is like cast is, is Aunt May casting because yeah. every Spider-Man movie has, they had a wildly different Aunt May, yep. but like the version of Aunt May that they do is like perfectly cast always with like a really like esteemed, like mm-hmm. Academy Award nominated and or winning actor. Yeah. That's like well-known and it's just so great. But like, I love her version of it. I think she's definitely like really close, like up there with my favorite versions. Oh, like,
1: she's so good.
0: She's so good because she's a very particular, she's very, you know, she's specific Supposed to be like an Aunt May who is in Peter's world, who is like a fighter herself, yeah, who is like super spunky, but but she still has like the grandmotherly quality that you yeah. want from her. That's just uh. It's i just, said
1: take it outside <laughs> <laughs> that's like the, I, I feel like that's an epitome moment for this version yes. of aunt may where it's yes. like she hits a guy with a bat and tells him to take it outside because they're like breaking her china <laughs> yes it's so yes. good it's, so it's like good. perfectly aunt may and perfectly lily tomlin at the same time
0: hmm <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so it's one good. of those things i would have never like if you were to give me a list of like actors I, I would pick for Aunt May, yeah. I don't think that Lily Tomlin would be on there. And I'm almost, and I'm kind of embarrassed to say that because yeah. she's so perfect in it. She's like, oh, she's so it's almost good. kind of a duh moment, but yeah, yeah, it's so great. I love that. She has some kind of relationship with, uh, with Doc Ock in this mm-hmm. universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's implied? laughs> There's a moment
1: in the movie where, uh, Doc Ock says, my friends call me live. And the only person in the movie to call her live is aunt may <laughs> and we know that in at least some versions of the comic aunt may and doc ock have a history yep to varying degrees
0: <laughs> uh, i love it so much the, the little things that, that flesh out this movie so well yep ah uh, ah uh, uh, it's so great <laughs> oh, so good so good <laughs> Uh the other piece of Peter Parker's world we get uh introduced to, or the the younger, successful version of Peter Parker, uh Mary Jane Parker. She's portrayed by Zoe Kravitz. I think she's Lenny Kravitz's daughter, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh she's Christina in the Divergent film series, she voiced Catwoman in the Lego Batman movie, she was Angel Salvador in X-Men First Class, and Leda Lestrange in the Fantastic Beasts movies
1: basically she's like taking the um hugo weaving route and just trying to be in like every (laughs) comic con adjacent type of role she can be in that's so true (laughs)
2: that's so true yeah like
1: uh hugo weaving if you visit him at comic con it's like here's my banner of characters from (laughs) comic adapted movies that you've seen (laughs) pretty much what zoe kravitz is too
0: (laughs) right right it's It's awesome (laughs) And again, doesn't get a huge part in this movie, right? But she's good. She gets a really nice, like, emotional monologue, and I think she delivers that very well.
1: Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the movie.
0: Oh, it's so, it's so good. It's, it's so powerful. It's, uh,
1: it's, I think, I think Mary Jane Watson—I almost called her Watson, but they explicitly call her Mary Jane Parker in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, I think Mary Jane's speech in this movie is, I think, for me, the strongest thesis statement of the movie. I know it's not the thesis statement that they chose to most strongly market with, but I do think that I do think that the beginning of her speech is its strongest, strongest thesis.
0: That's so true. Yeah. The fact that it wasn't that Peter Parker himself was anything that was particularly special. He just happened to be the guy that got bit by it and that anyone could have done what he did. But if he just, made the choice. Yeah, but he made the choice to do the to do good and do the right thing. Yeah. Ultimately,
1: I just love that. Yeah. I think she said, "What did she say?" He didn't. He didn't pick his powers, but he chose to be Spider Man.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so, so, so good. good. It really is. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like it's. It would be really easy to kind of like make a moral feel like forced or something like that. Yeah. We, we've seen that in like some, in some of the shows that we've watched, but it's so natural. It makes it like, it makes sense in the world of the movie, because the way it's mm-hmm. constructed, because it's like, she's giving a public statement that of course is going to be, very poetic and embellished and stuff because that's what you yeah. expect from a very from like a, a eulogy, a public eulogy, essentially. But like what she's saying <laughs> is exactly what the movie's about. So uh it's just and it's delivered like in a really nice montage that is like influential to Miles's character art Yeah, it's amazing how how well constructed this movie <sighs> is from so every good.
1: Angle. <laughs> also, Mary Jane is such a strong human being. <laughs> <Just> yes. <laughs> I don't know why I feel so inspired to say that, but <laughs> she oh, is. Oh, God. She's great.
0: Every, like, the, the core of, like, Mary Jane as a character like, uh, across across everything is so great. I love Mary so
1: Jane so good. Much. Please read Renew Your Vows, at least a little bit oh, of it. Yes.
0: Oh, I need to. I it's need very
1: to good that. Mary Jane content if you're a Mary Jane appreciator.
0: <laughs> I, I I definitely need to do that, and I definitely will.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I have a Mary Jane-related question for you related specifically sure. to this movie. So. She obviously knows Peter Parker as Spider-Man and all that stuff. She's involved with his life. She is at Kingpin's dinner honoring Spider-Man. So do you think that she knows who Kingpin is? She knows Wilson Fisk is Kingpin and a bad guy. And she's just like there for show for some reason. Hmm. Or is it a case where she was like maybe kept somewhat at arm's length with Peter Parker with like Peter's dealings with things because the way the movie plays it aunt may almost knows more than mary jane does because she's like actually instrumental in the spider people and everything
1: i hadn't thought about that but i think it's probably a case where i can buy the fact that mary jane knows about kingpin but also is publicly the widow of spider-man and Mm -hmm. so if invited to a benefit hosted by Wilson Fisk to honor Spider-Man, probably chooses to appear.
0: Yeah, that's true. And and she doesn't necessarily know that Kingpin literally killed him either. So it's like, right. it, it could be a combination of many things. But yeah, no, you're right. She probably was like, they don't have any evidence to like prosecute him for anything. So there would be no reason to not yeah. appear there and, and and cause trouble for no reason.
1: Especially because it's like, what, days after or the day? It's like very shortly thereafter.
0: That's true, yeah. And that, that, that also... I mean, it's not, it's not like explicitly stated in the movie, like why Aunt May doesn't get Mary Jane involved in the spider people thing. Cause she obviously doesn't know that there are multiple spider people, mm-hmm. but it would make sense if Aunt May was like, I know that seeing an alternate universe of Peter Parker is going to like F her up at this point. Cause she's probably not yeah <laughs> like, she's still grieving. So I'm going to like not tell her about this for that reason. Right. And it's one of those things where it's sort of like, you only think about that if you're like hyper analyzing the movie like you don't even process it while you're watching it because it leads to so many great scenes it leads to the whole yeah. the whole scene of like of peter b parker interacting with uh, her, which is like heart-wrenching and also hilarious and also like cringy it's so good
1: it's okay so it's heartbreaking but one thing that i think goes by really really quickly that makes it even more heartbreaking is when gwen says to peter parker i've been there She's yeah. literally saying it to a guy with the face of her best friend.
0: Yeah, no, that's so true. Like, she's, she's been dealing with, like, that's ex- almost she's the She's actively same. dealing with it. Yeah, like the exact same kind of trauma, but like processing it way better than yeah. literally anyone else in the movie is.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Gwen Gwen is portrayed as somebody who's closed herself off from from emotional connections, right? Because her best friend died. So if she doesn't get emotionally connected to anybody, she can't go through that again. But at the same time, she's also sort of like one of the strongest copers of the situation that's happening in front of them. Yeah. And part of that is probably because she's closed herself off to everybody. But I just, that moment really, really stuck out to me. Oh, it, it it's I don't know. There's something about it that that like I I don't think I picked up on it when I first watched the movie, but when I you know when I was rewatching it just recently for this, that just like hit me really hard. Where I was like, oh my gosh! Like she's talking about him. She's talking about him right there in front of her.
0: That did not even occur to me.
1: Yeah. And all. he doesn't he doesn't see it. You know, like obviously, but that's who she's talking about. Wow. It's only Peter that she's. I mean, I guess she was aware of peter parker for a week but Mm. never they never made contact as far as we are told in the movie gwen didn't know aunt may gwen never said that she knew peter the one that died so peter b parker is the first peter she's come with or come face to face with
0: wow yeah oh man that adds like so much like Mm -hmm. so many like different layer layers to her now because now it's just like the first meeting that she does is just like saving (laughs) is saving him and miles oh my god wow yeah it's it's
1: it's probably the most um emotionally vulnerable moment i think we we get from her and it goes by so fast
0: yeah oh god this movie is so good
1: yeah there are a lot (laughs) of little things like that that i that i just didn't pick up on the first time uh yeah it's so good
0: I think that's why I've seen other people say this. This isn't like a me thing. Like that this movie gets better every time you watch it Yeah. because you're constantly, it's not just like finding the little jokes and references in the background. It's just like there's no holes in this. Like I'm sure yeah. I'm sure like cinema sins is finding some kind of stupid plot hole in it, but yeah. there's not but like they they really have thought through everything. Like it's just mm-hmm. an extremely well-constructed movie from every angle and like everything Everything means something, and there's so many different things. I yeah. feel like we could be watching this, like, 10 years from now and and still be making some different connections. Like, oh, my God, maybe maybe so they really good. meant this when they were saying this.
1: Right? Uh, there's another uh, one of those at the end, but I'm going to wait for the end.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Round? So we're not done with the characters yet. There's so many of them, but they're all it's good. It's a movie. It's a movie.
1: <laughs> and it's a movie about multiverse, so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, we knew it was going to be like this, guys. Yeah. You're you're in with us for the long haul.
1: Yeah. Um, so, and if, if you're listening to us for the first time, thanks for getting this far.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've probably, this may or may not be our longest episode, but we've got some long ones already. So, we'll see. you know, it's cool. So, uh, the enemies and slash antagonists of this movie, um, the main antagonist, Wilson Fisk slash Kingpin, very well-known enemy of Spider-Man um, and Daredevil. Yep. He's portrayed in this movie extremely well by Lee Schreiber.
1: Never would have guessed.
0: I never would have guessed. He has such a great like accent in it Mm -hmm. and
1: everything.
0: He's uh, Ray Donovan in ray donovan <laughs> <laughs> he also was saber tooth not in the like original x-men trilogy but specifically yeah. in x-men origins wolverine
1: he's uh he's the very best part of that movie i'll tell you that much
0: <laughs> i would agree with that yes
1: he uh put him in more movies just as Sabretooth and i'll see him it's fine hey
0: okay. yeah yeah he's, he's great yeah he's in he's in a lot of movies very yeah, yeah. but
1: but yeah no he's he's
0: really great again yeah not not anyone that i ever pictured for kingpin nope i don't even know like what he's doing with his voice but he he does i mean it's it, it's it's interesting because like he's clearly trying to emanate just a very basic gangstery type of voice yeah but the performance that he does for it is so i don't know what it is about it there's just again like a like like peter is in this movie like he's he's definitely like a haunted character and i think that really comes through mm-hmm. and he does just a lot of really like i don't know i don't even know how to describe it but his so... performance is just really unique
1: I think did you watch the uh special feature where they talk about the voice acting I at all?
0: Not. No, okay,
1: so it's not very long, but uh Liev Schreiber really seems like the type of guy who Spent time learning to care about his character, which I think probably doesn't always happen with villains or main antagonists, you know, mm-hmm. especially ones who are probably misleading people into thinking they're just big hulking like monsters, yeah. because the way that Leaf Schreiber talks about him, he doesn't really talk about him like he's a monster. He talks about his motivation and he talks about his circumstances and the things that lead him to where he is. And I think that that really, really informs the the performance because one thing that's really interesting about this Kingpin is that aside from the very, very beginning where, you know, he he kills Peter Parker, almost nothing he's doing is out of any sort of malice or desire for Mm. domination or like his primary motivation for the the thing that is that they're trying to stop is totally family related and personal like it's it's not vengeful really it's not it's not a power grab it has nothing to do with money it's not you know like it's it's kind of interesting to think about
0: yeah that's true because he and i think that really does i think that's that's the thing that i i couldn't like pinpoint in his performance because that really comes through because he's not like there was a lot of i think um like line readings that he could have that could just be very villainous like mm-hmm. just as they are but but because we, he has very clear, very, very, very clear motivations in this movie, like very straightforward. And I think like that informs like literally everything that he does throughout the entire movie. And I think like the performance kind of reflects that because like you said, he's not giving like evil villainous monologues. Right. And, and he only like kills Spider-Man, like kind of out of a moment of passion because, yeah. because he's telling him that he's not gonna be able to get what he wants. And like what he wants is actually very understandable and very sympathetic. He wants to get his, yeah. his family died and he wants to get a version of his family back. Like we can all understand why that would be the case, you know?
1: There's a moment where Wilson Fisk says to, I believe he says it to Miles uh, at the end where he says, you took my family from me. And in that moment, it's really easy to sort of see that in in Kingpin's eyes, he is somebody just trying to do something. And all of these spider people are the villains in his way. (laughs) Like,
0: they are preventing
1: him from connecting with his family. It's twisted and it's warped, but Mm -hmm. it's, to him, it's just reuniting with lost family and they're actively trying to stop it from happening.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's the thing is that it's sort of like, it's a very, it's almost a very cliche thing now, but, but it's always effective when it works really well. It's like when you're playing a villain, you don't play the villain as the villain thinking I'm the bad guy. You play them as thinking they're the hero of their story. Right. Like that's, um that's a thing that plenty of movies, plenty of movies and plenty of like actors have said that they do. Right. But I think it's, it's done so commonly because it is a really effective way to do it. Yeah. And I think the thing that makes makes him in this movie so just so like interesting to watch is like the contrast between his performance and his motivations and the design of his character because they draw him he's like one of the most stylized characters to exist in (laughs) Miles's universe like he doesn't look like a human at all no he doesn't look like anybody else does he's just this hulking mask and like there's a shot I had screenshotted it but I don't remember like exactly at what point I think he's when he's watching the first test of the Hadron Collider and the 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 backlighting kind of fades, and so his giant like fully black body just fades into the darkness of the background so all you see is just like his head and like a little bit of his shirt yeah in the entire like widescreen of it and it's just like he is just this giant like force coming mm-hmm. through, but but that that comes in opposition with like the idea that he is just kind of a really like soft, sad person who just yeah. misses his wife and kid, you know? Yeah. And who just who legitimately doesn't see his responsibility in in why they ran off in the first place. He he doesn't see like he doesn't really feel guilt about it i don't think necessarily like i'm no. like he does to an extent but like not really like he's putting all of that on spider-man and that that's what makes him such a really interesting villain and one of the things that i think i, I remember people um so i i kind of specifically was kind of looking for like why people maybe didn't like this movie because i feel like it's a perfect movie um, a lot of people <laughs> i kept thinking play.
1: about that as i was watching it because i know you've told me on a number of occasions that it's a perfect movie yeah. and so <laughs> i was just sitting there thinking like is there a point at which this movie isn't perfect right like, can I agree with his statement and I feel like I do I really do I think it's it's incredible
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's a hard statement to make and I do and I really I know it's it's really easy to be hyperbolic like in this day yeah. age especially I, I don't say that with like any exaggeration I mean that like I don't I don't take, say that very lightly I think that there are very few movies where you could say that I think Terminator 2 is kind of almost a per is almost one literally the only reason it's not is because of some like very specific datedness mm-hmm. with john connor but even that i think adds to the flair of it so i think you could argue that it's a perfect movie um and back to the future i would say is another perfect movie as well
1: the first mm. one specifically good company
0: yeah but anyway <laughs> um, the reason i brought that up is because I, that that makes me really interested in seeing like what other people who didn't particularly like the movie or or think it has problems say about it yeah Most of it's racism, but uh, one (laughs) one of the things that I do think is kind of fascinating to me that I can sort of buy, but I don't agree with is that some people don't feel like the villains were fleshed out enough. Like, prowler is to um because of the role that he plays but like kingpin being chosen as the villain who kills spider-man and like sets off like a multiverse catastrophe like the fact that he's like technically just a guy who's just yeah. really strong i think when people kind of took issue with that where it's like well why didn't you get someone who really does honestly feel like formidable to spider-man because this movie does present him as very formidable but if you have any familiarity with the comics you're like yeah but is he though i think the reason that it works is because his character is so utterly driven by his motivation to get his family back. By this very, like, heartfelt personal motivation makes him <laughs> makes him more formidable than someone who just simply has, like, a lot of powers or, like, has augmented super strength. You know what I mean? You
1: know I do. I mean? And I also think that something th- that people probably should consider if they're if they don't think he's formidable enough is that in this story Wilson Fisk whether he's you know actually super strong or actually super powered or whatever who cares he's the one that killed Spider-Man in front of Miles very eyes that gives him so much power over the protagonist so yeah. much of, of where Miles' fear of his powers comes from is literally watching somebody with those powers get murdered in front of him. Like, that's true. Yeah, that's, because that's like strong emotional and psychological power.
0: And it's not like he he killed the first Spider-Man because of like his amazing physicality. Peter was already dying because yeah. of a fight with Green Goblin who is augmented and powerful and a giant explosion and a bunch of stuff falling on him. Kingpin just like dealt the, the final blow to it. Um, so I think, I think but you, knowing
1: someone can do that. Yeah. That's a big deal.
0: I think that's a really, really, really salient point that you brought up for it that I think brings it all together because it's sort of like, it makes him more of a personal like nemesis for miles specifically. It's yeah. not that he is literally objectively the strongest villain in the world. That's not even true in the context of the movie. Right. It's just personally for miles as a character and what he represents to him is, yeah. is, is what makes him so formidable. Ah, man. (laughs) it's a perfect movie it's so good
1: (laughs) so well you mentioned uh uncle aaron and and the prowler we we've mentioned uncle aaron but we haven't really talked about the prowler he is played by uh mahershala ali who is a really big deal (laughs) and uh i think will continue to be a big deal for a while he was Juan in moonlight and don shirley in green book both movies that got a lot a lot a lot of attention um during uh the past two years of award season I believe, or past three. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. I forgot when Moonlight came out, but he's a big deal. And then uh, he's also previously connected to Marvel properties because he played Cottonmouth in Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix, um, which he's incredible in. <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> I have liked him since the 4,400, which was like years before he got big. I I was so happy when he started, when he like just exploded because Mm -hmm. he was like such a highlight and he was like the heart of that show when he was, when he was on it. Yeah. Um, That was back in like 2004, I think. So, uh, I'm so, he's so great. Like, he's so great in literally everything he has ever he's been in.
1: He's just incredibly talented. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he's really good at, like, elevating the material, I think, too, that he gets. I mean, especially, like, in 4400, which is a very kind of pulpy sci fi show. Yeah. Um, he brought so much, he brought so much just, uh, I don't know like just just so much like energy to it and so much like gravitas to his performance and I yeah. think I think he does that in this role too because the the character that he's playing is is really interesting because you're introduced to him as someone who's kind of just very like street level like guy that you'd meet you know like he doesn't he's he doesn't come off as anyone necessarily like anyone special but You can tell early on that there's a lot of, like, history to him. Yeah. There's a lot of depth to him right off the bat, um, which is, like, 100% solely, like, Ali's performance with Yeah.
1: Well, one of the first things you learn about him is that at the very, very, very least, Miles' dad doesn't want Miles to be like him. Yes. Yes. And they don't explain why. And I actually think they do a good job of, of making us not need to know why. Mm-hmm. but uh it gives you a hint right off the bat like to watch him closely
0: yes it does and i think i watched this movie with someone who wasn't familiar with with the uh, the the uh, the comics like oh yeah me too all. i um, was really but,
1: curious about how they would react to this
0: yeah like on on my end they they did not catch on to who to to Aaron being Prowler or being like a villain at all. They said until in the apartment scene, like literally like just right before he unmasks.
1: The person Uh, that I was with gasped, like audibly gasped.
0: Yeah it's really well handled because I think, I think what the movie does really well with him is that they sort of see the hints early on, but then Aaron's not in the movie for a long time. Yeah. Um, like you see Prowler, but Aaron's kind of absent and you know, they have a couple of little voicemails where he's out of town. And I think those are very clear clues, but like so much stuff happens like mm-hmm. in between all of that, that you forget about it really quickly. Yeah. Um, so then by the time he appears in the apartment and you're just kind of assuming that Prowler's probably been tracking him anyway, yeah. it, it, it takes a while for those pieces to come together. I think th- it's handled so well. Oh, man. Just
1: really, really good.
0: It really is. <laughs> and,
1: you know, I'm glad you mentioned the comics because if you were somebody who watched this movie and, and really liked it, and if that's a character that you're interested in, like they go into really good stuff with the comics. It's really, really, really good. <laughs> yeah. I, I also, I remember reading those comics and learning that uh, relationship uh, between Miles and Uncle Aaron and Spider-Man and Prowler and stuff. Um, and just remember having, like, a very emotional reaction to learning those things. <laughs> yes. As, that was, for me, that was the the relationship that Miles has with Uncle Aaron in the comics is what convinced me that Miles Morales was a character that had it as far, like, had whatever the X factor is of a comic book character that we are made to care so much about and invest ourselves in. Yeah it's yes. you know like um it, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a total analogy to uncle ben but like the uncle ben thing and mm-hmm. and how peter copes with it is what makes us care and invest ourselves early on uh for me it was like the uncle aaron stuff <laughs> with yeah. miles
0: Well, that's the thing that I think it's really fascinating about how this movie handles it, because in a weird way, like it's such a it's been such a joke for a long time where it's just like we're going to get another, Like, we don't want another movie. That's a Spider-Man origin story where Uncle Ben dies again. Yeah. How many times
1: do we have to watch Uncle Ben die? (laughs) Right.
0: And yet this movie sort of. Tracks a lot of the same beats from a typical Spider-Man origin mm-hmm. story. We see Miles get his powers. We see him learn how to use his powers and we see his uncle get murdered. Yeah. But it's all done in such a different context and it, and it all kind of, kind of like, it's like quietly tracking that exact same.
1: Like, because it's narrative. not a carbon copy. They didn't right. set out to make a carbon copy. And so the things that do feel similar don't feel cheap.
0: Yes, it feels like an intentional parallel, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel like a rehashing of it. Right. Because the context of Miles having an uncle die that it infers an origin his origin story so wildly different and the lessons yeah. that he learns from him are so wildly different. And just his status of like, he isn't like this, this, like the way that Uncle Ben is sort of this kind of, um, is definitely kind of put on a pedestal, like for Peter Parker and his origin story, like intentionally so. Whereas Aaron, like his whole existence is sort of like, like you said, like he's, 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 he's who everyone's telling Miles to not grow up to be.
1: And that, that stays with Miles. Yes. That, that, Miles, I don't think Miles really ever does or should for for the sake of his character forget that his uncle Aaron was set up as this character who made the wrong choices and ended up in the wrong you know on the wrong path or in the wrong direction or something and that ultimately ended up in him getting killed you know like because that haunts miles there are a number of things that haunt miles and and throughout the comics especially Um, And the novel, there's a novel that um, there's actually a reference to in this in this movie, but Mm. there's a like a teen slash kids novel about Miles Morales. And um, in that book, too, just this idea that if Miles makes the wrong choices, he will be seen in the same way that his uncle Aaron is, which is terribly by the people that (laughs) that love him um, really, really bothers him a lot. And he, he thinks about it a lot, I think. Could I end up on this path or that path? And it's all complicated by the fact that he loves his Uncle Aaron a lot. So he's actively sort of wanting to emulate certain parts of his Uncle Aaron, but the more he emulates it, the scarier it becomes because he knows Mm. that the other people in his life that love him don't appreciate Uncle Aaron. Like, it's very (laughs) weird and complicated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, Uncle Ben was like, great, and you strive to be more like Uncle Ben. Right. But the more you strive to be like Uncle Aaron, the more people might end up hating you. (laughs) Yeah. Or the more quote villainous you might end up being. Even though I would say Uncle Uncle Aaron is just a uh he's a he's a professional. <laughs> he's yeah. just on the wrong side of things. But he's a professional.
0: He's your punch clock villain, essentially. He's yeah. just
1: like he's not
0: doing it for any motivation other than this just this is kind of like the life that he fell into, and this is what right. he does for his job.
1: Works for the wrong guy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really interesting because they don't I, I like that the movie is 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 very clear about being in the middle ground for him. It's just sort of like you can tell from the early scenes that he's like, he's a, he's a decent guy in a lot of ways. He's a really good uncle to miles. He just, you know, just happens to be a supervillain. You know, yeah. that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, and I love, I mean, I love how it sort of plays into this idea with miles where it's just like, he's, he spends a lot of this movie, like kind of being told like what he's supposed to be and like what yep. he has to be. And, and it's not really until he's given the choice and just kind of told like, you know what? whoever you choose to be like, you're going to be great at it. It's just up to you to make the choice. And then he ends up making all the right choices. So it's like, yeah. So it's, it's really fascinating. And I feel like you could, there's so much that you could maybe mine from, from Aaron as a character in this. And maybe, maybe think that like, maybe he was in a similar situation where he was being told of like, what he isn't, what he is or isn't supposed to be. And then that's why he rebelled and, and, and got involved in like criminal activities. And it's just, he was never at any point in his life, told what miles was told where he can just be whoever he chooses to be right you know and then it just kind of ended up on 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 the wrong side of the tracks essentially mm-hmm. which in turn plays into this whole idea of like anybody can be spider-man you just have to make the right choices yeah. to do it
1: yeah Ooh, here she is <laughs> Woo! all right so let's talk doc ock yeah in this movie we get a very new take on doc ock um in the one of the special features they said that for the first, uh, what, two years or something of production, Doc Ock was a man in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they made that change later on. They thought it would be interesting and, and worth it in the long run. I think it was because I think oh, we're yeah. already experimenting with characters. And this was a good experiment to to carry out. Yeah. So we get Dr. Olivia Octavius instead of Dr. Otto Octavius. And this version of Doc Ock is portrayed by Catherine Hahn, who I didn't. Think I knew, um, oh, but you then know. then I rec- yeah I recognized her once I looked at the things she's been in. She uh, recently was one of the main characters in the Bad Moms films, but she was also um, in Crossing Jordan with Mahershala Ali, <laughs> which I think is kind of fun.
0: That is fun. Oh, yeah, man. and
1: then she's been in like a bajillion other things.
0: <laughs> I love her in uh, in Parks and Rec as the, the I forget yeah. her name the campaign manager. Like she's so she's she's just really good in general yeah. in anything I've ever seen her in.
1: Yeah, she's really, really good. And she did this really, really well. There was a uh, an interesting thing. I actually want to mention two things from the, the um, voice acting special feature because Please. there's one about Uncle Aaron, too, that I want to mention that I forgot. But with, with Doc Ock, they said there were a, a lot of moments during production where they were really nervous that Doc Ock wouldn't come across as an actual threatening and menacing villain. They, they were worried that she would just come across as sort of a silly, manic, sort of goofy character. And their worries went away when they heard Katherine Hahn doing the voice. They said, (laughs) once we heard how she was doing it, we knew that we were doing things right and that she would actually be sort of menacing and the clip that they used um when they were talking about that was her delivering the line of um you know uh have you ever been you know torn apart cell by cell or whatever and said like oh it'll be very painful <laughs> and i can't wait to watch like oh my God. that's that's the line they chose to highlight when they were talking about how katherine Hahn made doc ock feel like a threat
0: Yeah. Well, she, she, she fluctuates so much in the movie from this, from, from being kind of very funny and very manic to just like that. It makes it extra scary when she does say something very menacing,
1: Yep, you know? Um, Well, they, they said like she had an additional challenge in that she was one of the few characters in the movie who played, or one of the few actors who kind of had to do two different roles. Sure. Because... You know, this movie doesn't really explore the sort of alter uh, alter ego side of Spider-Man all that much in the way that some other ones have, um, where you get, you know, the debates of, you know, was this actor a good Spider-Man or a good Peter? Like, that doesn't really come right. into play here because everybody's very authentically themselves in the moment, and they're surrounded by other other spider people, so they don't really have to pretend all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she plays both this sort of, like, nerdy, unassuming character at the beginning of the film, and she's really the... Uh, is she, she's kind of the only character that has a, well, no, Prowler does too, sort of like a reveal, right? And then once yeah. the reveal happens, she's allowed to go like absolutely batshit.
0: <laughs> yeah. The reveal, I had, I, I had no no idea
1: yep i didn't I know no idea i don't and i don't know how i didn't know there were so many clues
0: there really were well i think because it's one of those things where like we said there's so much happening in this movie all over the place yeah yeah it's just yeah but you're right there's so many clues towards it
1: they even acknowledge like uh you're not gonna expect this <laughs> Like there's yeah. a line in the movie that that basically directly says what we're all thinking which is like Huh. I probably should have had my mind open a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it was like when Peter's like, a, like, a, uh, like, okay, step two, re- re-examine my personal biases. Yep. Like, it's just like, yeah, that's what you should be doing because we be it to be a
1: guy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And someone made this really funny comparison where it was like the fact that Doctor Octavius is a scientist in these movies that they're watching in school. Yeah. So like, it would be like
1: if, if Bill
0: Nye turned out to be like <laughs> turned out to be oh. like a supervillain.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I, if anybody was 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 capable of doing it, I would say it's Bill Nye. He's made the right choices.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> as far as I know.
0: <laughs> oh man, uh, it's so. It is just. I love her 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 whole design, like her messy hair, yep. and everything. Like it's so great. Yeah. And her her tentacles. Her tentacles are really yep. really cool. Like I very like, cool. like inflated, like like kind of balloony kind of things. Yeah, sort of like the kind of rubbery like. Oh God. They're so cool. Oh,
1: so awesome. So awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, So our, th- our, our podcast thesis statement about Dr. Octopus is that the thing that makes Dr. Octopus sort of iconic and, and, and threatening is his ego and his tentacles. And you can sort of mix him up in any different way. And as long as he still has this ego about his science and his tentacles, It'll be successful. Yes. I think yes. I already know the answer, but I feel like for the sake of this ongoing discussion, does this Doc Ock prove that thesis further?
0: <laughs> I absolutely would say yes. Me too. We, we get zero backstory for her whatsoever. She yep. couldn't be more different in a lot of ways from... Yep. The traditional Doc Ock, and yet she is still so fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally Doctor Octopus.
1: Yep. <laughs> and I do it's, think she's scary.
0: I do. She is terrible. That scene where, um, oh god, it's like it's it's the the Doc Ock chase through Alchemax. Oh. When we're getting like, and we're getting like Miles's POV. I think it's was when he still has the monitor and the uh, the CPU <laughs> running. Yeah. It feels like you're on like one of those. Rides at a theme park where it's like the 3D ride where you're wearing like 3D glasses and you're in a chair and you're hearing sound from all over because like I listened to it with headphones on last night and you hear all of this like talking and fighting like just like off screen coming from like both sides and yeah. it's sort of muffled. So like for one, nice job on the sound design oh, yeah. because it never feels like it's a movie. It really does feel like you're in there running around this building while Spider-Man and Doc Ock are fighting in other rooms. So that feels really fun, but also just like Doc Ock is scary. Like yep. you have all these shots of her like coming towards you with like spitting like blades on her tentacles. Yep. Like, ah, uh, it's so, it's so great. and It's animated so well the way she, yeah. the way she runs. Oh my God. It's so good.
1: It's it's really great. I love that her um the way that her tentacles uh operate or the way that she uses her tentacles because of their composition or texture or whatever they're made of instead of standing on the feet of her tentacles they curl up on the ground. <laughs> And I don't know why I like that so much. It's just different than what we see, you know. Like I feel like typically the the contact point would be the claws as sort of like feet, right. but she doesn't do that. Right. I'm trying to think of like a good example of what that compares to. It's almost it's almost Morticia Addamsy.
0: Huh? Yeah.
1: And I I, I really that. dig that. Um, there's another there's another there's a there's an animated character, and I can't think of what it is, and it's going to drive me nuts, but. <laughs> there there are some other characters that do that really really well.
0: Nice. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. Tweet it out if you remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. Yeah. And
1: also, I I I want to say that one of my favorite details about Olivia Octavius is that she ties her hair up before yes. she goes in like fully as uh doc ock and i feel like this is also one of those examples where like there were you know quote five boys making a movie and i feel like this is one of the moments where um (laughs) what was her name christine am i getting that right christina yeah um was like actually like have her tie her hair up there's no way she would just <laughs> right. just like let it go wild like she's she's it's business <laughs> like, it she's taking more, care of business <laughs> it makes her more intimidating because it's yep. sort
0: of like oh i take this very seriously yeah <laughs> like, like yeah doesn't matter like i might be making quips and my demeanor might still be like really loving this and having fun yeah but i still take it very seriously and yeah. i'm going to murder you
1: <laughs> yeah it's like tying your hair up before you play a sport or before you do mm-hmm. yard work or you know whatever the case may be like it's or or in the um um, Unfortunate event series Like she always ties her hair up When she's about to like Do something impressive Like <laughs> It's just It's such a good detail
0: Yes Yes If you want to hear us Talk all about Doc Ock In general yes. I highly recommend Our episode 4 of our podcast Which is one of my favorite ones We've ever done Yeah But needless to say This Doc Ock 100% gets our Seal of approval <laughs> Yes
1: Big seal of approval And we've already mentioned That there is Some implied history there With um With May Parker And I, oh, yes. I Actually I love the idea That this Doc Ock who is sort of this like quirky, sciencey, out there, kind of like whack, is also potentially sort of seductive in a way. Yeah. You know, like the way that she interacts with Peter, the way that she talks to Miles. Like she seems sort of like threateningly flirty, almost. (laughs) Like she's like there's some sort of mist about her. About her.
0: (laughs) That's so true. And I I dig that. Craven energy going on. A little bit, a little bit, yeah.
1: And it's from a character you you wouldn't suspect. So I I like that.
0: I do too.
1: Yeah, she's so great. She is. (laughs) Oh, and then before I forget, because I think you'll appreciate this. Um, when they were doing the voice acting special feature or whatever they were talking about the scene in the alley where uncle Aaron ultimately dies and they have that conversation he has that conversation with miles about like just keep going and 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 whatnot mm-hmm. they said that they re-storyboarded it after they heard his performance they said they completely sort of redid that scene Ooh. because it was it affected them so much um, ah. in a way they didn't ex- expect that they were like we got to redo this like it's it's just it's too it's too good like we were not doing it justice
0: that's fascinating because right? that's that's a rarity with anyone animation they're like nail down the storyboards to get it perfect <laughs> <laughs> so we don't have to make changes like that right. so oh wow that's so interesting
1: right oh it's good
0: uh, I buy it though. Uh, it's It's a very it's a very effective moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the villains we have going on um, are are definitely kind of like lesser tier villains yeah. in the scope of this movie, but they all have interesting things going on about them. Yeah. So Norman Osborn and slash, slash Green Goblin is um, an actor named Jorma Jorma Tacone. I don't know if I'm Whoa. pronouncing that right.
1: I don't either, but I'm uh, just like. At a loss for the fact that that's who played this character.
0: Yes, so uh, this is a member of the Lonely Island. Uh huh. Um, yeah, like Dick in a Box, Lonely Island. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> <that's laughs> interesting. Yeah, um,
1: <laughs> and it wasn't even the one whose name I knew.
0: <laughs> yeah, me either. I didn't even recognize it. <laughs> yeah, I
1: recognize his face from like Lonely Island music videos, but I, like, what? Where? Where is he in this performance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i'm blown um, away it,
0: yeah and it's it's interesting because it's a pretty thankless role you know he's just kind of playing a, yeah like he green goblin in this case is portrayed just kind of like a snarly monster but but hey mm-hmm. you know what i'm sure it was fun to do yeah yeah and, it, and that's interesting that's an interesting one um it was an interesting choice to have what well, okay so i, I want to go through my whole like thought process with this because when i first saw it it was sort of like i was in the movie so i was like i'm buying this but it was still kind of weird to me that it's like of all the Characters to pick as just like a henchman. They do Green Goblin and they do this sort of like fusion of the ultimate version where he's like a hulking mutant monster, yeah, but still dress him in like 616 Green Goblin regalia. Mm -hmm. So I was like, that's a little weird. And he's not, and you know, he's not smart Norman Osborne, he's just kind of like dumb henchman in this, yeah. But then I think like what I realized afterwards is I actually think that was kind of a smart way to do it because I think that was a very subtle but still very clear first introduction to the idea of miles's universe being a very different version of the spider-man mythos than like the quote-unquote like typical spider-man mythos. because green goblin is a villain that you don't have to know much about spider-man to recognize because he was the first villain in the very first spider-man movie that like everyone saw yeah he he still came up again in the amazing spider-man uh movie like he's been in video games like he's been all over like if you know if you know spider-man at all like the bare minimum you know there's a character known as green goblin and the green goblin that we're seeing in this movie you know is very different from any green goblin that you've Mm -hmm. seen in any of those movies so i think like it's immediately a clue in the same way that like peter parker having blonde hair is where it's just sort of like oh something is a little bit different about this so then it kind of softens that introduction to the, the multiverse and sort of helps kind of acclimate you to this idea that like oh so this peter parker that we're following in this movie isn't really the one that we're used to you know yeah Um, And that's sort of, I think it's, I think it sort of plays into the same, like where you're sort of seeing like the ads that you see aren't for Coca-Cola. They're for, I forget what their version of Coca-Cola was, but like it's Uh, very explicitly not Coca-Cola. So it's sort of like, no, you, you're kind of like slowly, subtly introduced to this different universe from any universe that we've ever seen before, including
1: our own. Right. There's also a line from, um, this is more of a like us sort of watching it a few times type of observation, but Peter Parker, the late Peter Parker says to Miles uh, at one point, Kingpin has everybody. And that line mm. helps me feel better about all these villains, not necessarily having like string pulling role. Cause like, it is a little weird, right? Like to have, to have all these villains who are iconic in their own right, all sort of be working for Kingpin. Uh, but they do acknowledge it, uh, and they they sort of establish like Miles, like you can't you can't really go to anybody, like you got to do this because he's got everybody, <laughs> like yeah, everybody belongs to the kingpin, and so it's one of those things where like I didn't think about it the first time I watched it, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait, why like why are these iconic characters all just henchmen? And then when I watched it, it was like sort of a, a, a roller coaster of a journey. <laughs> Yeah, where I like same. questioned why they were henchmen, and then they actually did, in fact, give me the answer a little bit—not the yeah. why, but at least at least supported the fact that for one reason or another, they all work for Kingpin.
0: Yeah, huh. almost like it's a flawless movie. That's really oh important. weird. um <laughs> It's like I couldn't
1: find a, a problem with it. <laughs>
0: Another interesting take on a villain that I I really love this version of him.
1: Is there a source for this version of him? I don't think so. I couldn't find one. Anyway. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So really unique. Scorpion, played by Joaquin Cosillo. He's an actor primarily in Mexican and other Spanish language films. From American films is General uh, Medrano um, in Quantum of Solace. I haven't seen it, but um, he is in that, that James Bond movie.
1: He's been in things, but I didn't. I didn't recognize him. Like I don't know what types of roles he plays. You mm-hmm. know, like you know what I mean? It's weird. Yeah. I don't know.
0: And this is another one. It's sort of like Green Goblin. It's sort of a thankless role in the movie because it's it's very straightforward, just like villain stuff, right? Yeah. So just delivered a few quips. That's that's about it. But yeah. still, you know, it's it's done well. Like, but such well a cool
1: take, like you said, like just a wildly different take. Unless there's a, a version that we're just not aware of.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's like. A Latino scorpion, like tattooed, obviously like dude that's been in prison a bunch of times. He has like robotic scorpion limbs. <laughs> yeah,
1: this is like Darth Maul meets Scorpion.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's, it's so interesting. weird. I also love that his legs, actually it's it's very Star Wars because it's sort of Darth Maul and it's sort of General Grievous where like mm. it looks like he has two legs but then those legs split into four legs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. It's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. And it's one of those things like they clearly only did it because they just wanted to do something like different. Like that yeah. would be a fun, that would be a fun character to watch on screen. Like having his robotic scorpion legs. Yeah. And, like the way they they uh, they transform and stuff like that. And it is. He's a really so fun cool. character to watch. Like, I I love that like they didn't just have like the spider people fighting just generic like monsters or robots or like forces. like one criticism that I think is very valid of a lot of superhero movies these days um, including the Marvel movies is that like it's really like one main bad guy and then just like an army of like generic (laughs) whatever like (laughs) aliens yeah like generic grunts and this movie doesn't do that it just has a very small group of formidable opponents that are all really unique and all have a really cool powers Set.
1: definitely and then there there is one other villain that appears on screen a number of times i didn't pay attention intently but barely speaks i think yeah but is is portrayed by a speaking human being <laughs> um named marvin jones uh, the third who is uh A musician, but also acts a little bit. And uh, I think probably, at least certainly the longest running role, but probably also the most prominent role, is as uh, Tobias Whale in CW's Black Lightning. Nice. Yeah.
0: Man. Woo! So there's so many people in this movie There's a lot
1: a lot of people <laughs> well we did start to as we were talking about characters we started talking about some of our favorite moments and whatnot and uh and and that's pretty much what we're going to do from here on out is just talk about all the stuff that we loved uh but we do have sort of like a short synopsis just uh in case you watched the movie i don't know you know when it first came out and haven't watched it since or whatever. But uh, we're going to read that, and then we're just going to go free-for-all and talk about whatever the heck we want. So uh, if if you need a refresher... Uh, Into the Spider-Verse begins the story of Miles Morales, a young, mild-mannered, and introspective black Puerto Rican teenager from Brooklyn, struggling to find his place and overcome a sense of imposter syndrome at a new private school away from his neighborhood. His parents, uh, PDNY police officer Jefferson Davis and EMT Rio Morales, encourage him to strive towards success by never giving up and making the choice to move forward against adversity. Uh,
0: These values are put to the test when, shortly after, Miles is imbued with mysterious new powers through a radioactive spider bite, New York City is threatened by the dimension crossing experiments of Dr. Olivia Octavius at the behest of crime lord Wilson Fisk. While investigating the location of the Spider-Vite, Miles then stumbles upon the established Spider-Man of his universe, um, which is Peter Parker, uh, who is attempting and failing to stop the experiments. Uh, Before Spider-Man is ultimately killed at the hands of Fisk, Miles and Spider-Man do briefly meet. Um, Sensing his spider powers, Spider-Man instructs an understandably scared and hesitant Miles on how to stop the experiments.
1: In the wake of Spider-Man's death, Miles struggles with his responsibility in filling the hero-shaped void left behind, and wrestles with a sense of regret due to feelings of helplessness and inaction during the encounter with Fisk. This struggle is further complicated when he meets, at the grave of his universe's Peter Parker, a man who looks nearly identical to Peter Parker, claiming to be Spider-Man.
0: As it turns out, experimenting (laughs) with dimensional breaches has unexpected effects. The Spider-Man whom Miles meets is the molecularly unstable Peter B. Parker. a similar but older, more jaded, and solidly more Jewish Parker from another dimension. Uh, Miles is encouraged because he sees this new Peter as an opportunity to be shown how to become Spider-Man.
1: When Peter B. Parker and Miles team up to tackle the first stage of getting Peter back to his own universe by infiltrating the lab of Dr. Octavius, they learn of four other experienced Spider-Folk who made their way into this dimension— Spider-Woman, also known as Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man Noir, Penny Parker and her SPDR robot companion, and Spider-Ham also known as Peter Porker.
0: Uh, The spider folks, with the assistance of the late Peter Parker's Aunt May, organize a plan to stop Kingpin and Octavius's experiments and to get each hero back home. But when Miles volunteers to carry out the most dangerous task in order to allow each and every hero passage home, he is rejected due in part to his lack of control over his newfound powers and also inexperience. But above all, his inability, as they perceive it, to persevere, to, quote, get back up. Uh, To pile on, an attack on the group at Aunt May's home leads to the death of his uncle Aaron, one of Kingpin's hired
1: men. Miles' anger at the group's rejection and grief over his uncle's death further fuel Miles' own understanding of his responsibility, but it isn't enough to convince the group that he is ready, and he fails to willfully demonstrate either of his powers. Peter ties Miles up to prevent him following them, and the group swings away to confront Kingpin, but not before Miles asks how he'll know he's ready, to which Peter replies that he will not, and it'll be a leap of faith.
0: Peter's answer combined with a simultaneously heart-shattering, and also heart-filling moment from Jefferson, his dad, helped Miles realize that wielding his powers is not simply about knowing the responsibility, but also about choosing it wholeheartedly, even in the face of uncertainty.
1: Miles frees himself with his hitherto uncontrollable venom shock, creates his own spider identity symbolized by a new and distinct Spider-Man suit, and uses his invisibility powers to join the final confrontation with Octavius and Kingpin, ultimately saving New York and returning each spider hero back home.
0: Lots of other stuff color that plot. So if you're for some reason listening to this without having seen the movie and you're like, okay, I got it now. Yeah. You ain't got it now. You got to watch the
1: movie. There's so much more. <laughs> so uh, the first thing I want to just like touch upon, because it is sort of present in our version of the synopsis, Is this idea of, I think there are two big things that play together as one of the thesis statements of this movie, which is you you have a choice and you can't give up and i think each of each of miles parents sort of re- represents one half of that and those themes keep coming up this idea of choices and the idea of persevering and actually <laughs> we get it really really early on in a number of cases so in the police cruiser on the way to school there's this interaction between um jefferson and and miles where Jefferson is trying to to give him this lesson of like, we all make choices in life. And Miles says, it doesn't feel like I do. And then Jefferson says, you don't. But what's interesting about this is I think that like, there are a bunch of times where the idea of having a choice or not having a choice comes up. I think there's a point later on where Peter, you know, Peter basically says like, give up on this. Like, it's not worth it. And Miles then says, I don't have a choice. And so it's interesting because like, the straightforward moral that you would put into a movie like this is: you have a choice, and you just need to make it. You either choose to do or not do. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this. I think that this movie is more complicated because it's not about simply making the choice, but it's about what you do with the choice, and and the choice is about what your circumstances are. Right. So like. That's, that's what I was talking about when I said I think Mary Jane's speech is the strongest thesis, where she says Peter didn't pick his powers, but he did choose to be Spider-Man. Miles mm. is a character who has those powers and doesn't know if he wants to use them or not. And I think the, the mistake he's making is that he thinks the choice is either to be Spider-Man or not be Spider-Man, and that's what makes it hard for him to use his powers. It's what makes it hard for him to make up his mind. Um, but I think the real choice is not whether or not to be Spider-Man. That's just what his circumstances are. Mm-hmm. It's how to be Spider-Man and how he copes with it and how he how he reacts to that, um, which I think ties back to his school, which is you don't have a choice in going to the school. That decision has been made for you, but you do have a choice in how you cope with that and what you do with it and all the opportunities uh, that you can either take advantage of or squander.
0: That's very astute. <laughs> That's <laughs> very good. I think you're right on the money for that, actually. Because you're right. You're right. Because like, there's there's points like towards the end where once once Miles does embrace being his version of Spider-Man, like there's multiple lines where they're like, "Did we did we teach him that?" Like, no. What's he doing? Like, how is he doing that? Because yeah, he, he's basically like freed from the expectation to to being like a version of Spider-Man that already exists. He's just being him, like his yeah. version of Spider-Man yeah I think that's that's really interesting because it's like it it almost is like too it's too easy to just say that like oh always make the right choices because you don't always have a choice like no one lives their entire life always being able to choose every single thing that happens to them right and I think that's sort of like it's a it's it's a nice lesson to say like make the right choice but like it's kind of an empty lesson if you if you don't consider every other like kind of side of that so I I think that's really that's really interesting
1: I think it's like furthered when he when you realize that he he doesn't he can't use his power simply because he says he will he he's not scared the whole time he says i want to do this he says let me do this yeah Um, but he's not successful at it because he's trying to do it the way that his peter parker would or the way that peter b parker would and he's not like fully like embracing what it means for him Mm -hmm. I, i i think he's making the choice that he thinks other people think he should make as opposed to just like doing his own version of whatever it is
0: Yeah, well, it intersects a lot with, like, just the general kind of theme of identity in this movie, which, of course, is going to come when you have multiple spider people, because it's, it's a lot of dual identity stuff going on. But the whole idea of, like, how important identity, like, your identity, and, like, how you how you relate to everything else but also like how you understand who you are like that Mm -hmm. sort of really dubious kind of uh, abstract idea of like who am i like figure out what that is and the the meta the 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 kind of meta narrative to all of it is of course like this is a like biracial superhero that you don't see very much of um here's a spider-man that's not a white kid like this is also a movie that features uh, like uh, a woman who is spider-man like i think that all kind of plays into it and the way the movie kind of like uses uses it to its advantage is sort of like it's it's sort of, like, focuses, like, kind of hones in on, like, what identity actually means, which is the simple fact of, like, what your circumstances are to create who you are and then, like, figure out who you are from that. Like, does that make sense?
1: No, I think (laughs) it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that directly and indirectly or in your face or subtly sort of just brings up the idea of choices and how those things are informed by who you are and which choices are authentic and which ones aren't. Right. So like when Miles is at school and he's in his school uniform, he feels uncomfortable and he's inauthentic and he's making all these choices that he thinks are supposed to be right. But we're always getting the sense that like He's uncomfortable, and it doesn't feel genuine to him. And then you see him tagging that wall with his uncle Aaron, and he's making all these choices too, and he feels comfortable, and he's in his street clothes, and he's got his own shoes on and whatnot. The same Mm -hmm. thing with, like, when he's wearing the red and blue Spider-Man costume, like, it doesn't fit, and it's awkward, and it's clumsy. And he chose that. He did that. He, He bought that. But it wasn't until he made his own costume and put his own Mm -hmm. spin on it that he was really sort of in his own skin. And it's not because of the costume, but it represents that.
0: Right. Or when he gets web shooters that are specifically made... For him, like him alone. Yeah. And they fit perfectly. Like, I think that's so, it's so great. Like, and it's so, like, that, I think that line is so important to be in, like, that montage of him finally suiting up as Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Because that, that is ultimately, like, the real point. Not that it, like, literally fits him perfectly, like, that's part of it. Just the idea that it's like this this is for you miles morales this isn't for another person who is another spider-man right. this is just specifically for you and like if this was you completely independent to who peter parker was and who spider-man was previously like none of that really matters ultimately like you are are being the best version of you right now and the best yeah. version of you is you in this specific spider-man suit right. that you created for yourself
1: yeah. yeah. You know what a really cool little moment is that sort of like back, there's a ton of little moments that back that up. That That's one of the one things that I was like actively looking for was this theme of choices and, mm-hmm. and what that really meant. Not the fact that you're making the right choice as defined by other people, but that you're making the choice that's right for you or the right, right because you made it when, when he's doing the graffiti um, with his uncle Aaron, there's a point where he is standing on uncle Aaron's shoulders And he holds the spray can in one place. And Uncle Aaron basically says, if you do that, it's going to drip. And if that's what you want, that's cool. But if you don't want that, you got to keep it moving. And that little line where he basically says, you can do this or you can do that. And either one's fine, but like know what you're doing and, and do it because it's what you want. Yeah, like really backs that up and it's so little it's such a little moment mm-hmm. but they they paid so much attention even yeah. Miles even says like my shoes are untied it's a choice <laughs> like, yeah. you know like it's all these little things sprinkled yeah. throughout constantly about choices and, and which ones are authentic and which ones are not And that's,
0: that's a theme that I think people, especially like now, I feel like that's a really big idea that's been in the culture for for a good long while now. But just the idea of like really fully embracing who you are and not being afraid of it and not just in the typical, like express yourself. Like we've been told that for years, but there's a difference between just being like, I'm happy in my own skin, I guess, and actually like really being happy in your own skin so many people I, I think people who don't really understand like what a lot of the push like the like when you call things like identity politics and like I don't understand why like people are being s j w about everything mm-hmm. like I think like what what they tend to miss is that like what a lot of this stuff is is people like realizing that like maybe what i i i can feel in this very, like, abstract, often indescribable way of, like, who I am on the inside that doesn't really work with, like, either the way that I've been raised or the way that, like, the way that society has been sort of telling me to, to, like, live my life. It doesn't really, like, fit into that mold. And figuring out, like, what clothes I feel comfortable in or, like, Mm -hmm. how I want my hair to be or, like, how I want to, like, talk or, like, how I want to present myself or, like, the things I want to do and create, like... As long as those things aren't, like, actively harming another person, like, there's literally no reason to not do that. Even if you feel like you might look like an outsider or look a little, like, weird to everyone else. Yeah. That doesn't matter because what's important is that you be happy with, like, doing what you feel, like, is right for you to do. And we all have that. We all have those things where we just, like... I know that this feels right for me to do it and I know that there's no reason not to other than people have been telling me I'm not supposed to be doing it for whatever reason just because that's the way that like history has taken our culture is to say that we're not supposed to do it.
1: There's like the right choices by definition and then the right choices for you.
0: Right exactly because there's a lot of things that like there isn't an objective like right or wrong to it. It's just like... Mm -hmm. We kind of, like, as a group maybe decided, like, oh, I guess guess that's not a normal thing to do, but that doesn't mean that, like, it's not a thing that should be done, and the only reason that we've defined it as normal is because, like, a handful of people who maybe were in power or happened to, like, be pushing the the culture, like, had a lot of influence on the culture said that this was normal or not normal, but, like, there is, like, no objective normal to that you know um uh, yeah. and i think like the the idea of this movie really pushes that a lot where it's just like the the only way you can really truly be successful in quote-unquote like be who you are is actually like understanding like what makes you you and pursuing that like whatever way feels right and then and that's going to be how you do great things
1: Mm-hmm. yeah the the moment with his dad at the door also kind of like plays into that too because like his dad is seen as this rigid sort of you got to do this you got to do that but he does eventually sort of say like i'm hard on you because i see a spark but ultimately whatever you do with it i'm confident you'll do great things yes which uh, is cool
0: it's like the thing that you want to hear from your parents and the thing that like every parent should always communicate kids, <laughs> yeah in my opinion yeah oh i wrote this
1: <laughs> down ooh i want to read it because i didn't realize i wrote the, the quote down uh word for word ooh please do but his dad says i see this spark in you it's amazing it's why i push you but it's yours whatever you choose to do with it you'll be great i love you and then oh i'm getting chills already i love i love the way it comes around where he says i love you and then there's a pause and he says you don't have to say it back oh gosh like oh it's so good of course it like broke my heart in the theater because like you know that's the time when miles would just have no hesitation saying it back yeah and he can't (laughs)
0: yeah Uh, yeah
1: so good so so good
0: i know it really is uh it's so powerful <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Uh, uh, this movie is so heavy in all the best ways. Um, the other thing, I think all of that stuff, however, plays into what I feel like it's like this movie is. It does a really um, a really cool thing by essentially being like a deconstruction of Spider Man, but like <laughs> in a way that like deconstructions are always like Watchmen, like it's always like it's what you thought you loved but darker, like it's twisted. Like I yeah. mean, because the, and, here's and, and, the
1: thing: and, and, you love, we're gonna fuck it up. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and that's fair. Like I think yeah. there's there's room. Like I love Watchmen. I, like objectively, I think it's I think it is really great and really important. But I think it's sort of like we often take the idea of deconstruction to mean like show all of the what are actually really flaws like what's mm-hmm. actually wrong with liking these things right but I think like this this movie does that really well where it's just sort of like it does show like some of the flaws of what being a Spider-Man would be like like Peter B. Parker is a very like jaded person who's been, yeah. like, completely torn apart by life like it would suck but it does that without like stripping the joy of it because it's sort of like despite all of that he still ends up making the right choices in the end he's still able to like turn his life around and we also understand that like not all of it is necessarily his fault like we we yeah. all So fully, you fully get the idea of like, yeah, this shows that like the bad part of being Spider-Man, but like, there's a reason that that it's hard. It's, it's because it is hard to like do good things sometimes, you know? So yeah i think it's like there's not really like a whole lot to that necessarily just in like the fact that it does that i think it's a really hard line to walk where you are really like giving a hard kind of introspective look at yeah. something especially something so culturally important and so that has such a long rich history that's so important to people and doing it without feeling like you're on the attack for it mm-hmm. it's a really like affectionate deconstruction and kind of reconstructs it reconstructs it in the end like gives like what spider-man is like new meaning by the end yeah. of it, you know
1: you know a moment i re- really, really love with Peter B. Parker is at the very end, because this plays into a little bit of what you were talking about. We get pretty quickly, Peter is sort of in a way like leading that team sort of lightly, right? Like Peter rolls up and and still ends up being sort of the face of that team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when he decides to sort of like be this self-sacrificing character, who's like, like, I know everybody said that they would do it, but I'll do it. Like, I'll really do it. And then at the end when they're all gone and he's still doing that and he's like, no, Miles, it's fine. Like, I'll do it. I love the interaction with him and Miles at the end that actually explains why Peter is acting the way that he is in Miles' universe. It's all self-destructive behavior. It's not like heroics for the sake of heroics. He's afraid to go back. If he yeah. dies in this universe, he doesn't have to confront everything that he he believes he screwed up in his other universe. Yeah. And so it's cool to see him like get this sort of like, even if it's just momentary um, bit of peace at the end, where like Miles turns his own words on him to say like, you won't know that everything will be fine, but you got to do it. Like, you got to go back. I really like that because it just, it, like, adds this enormous depth of character to Peter B. Parker with just a little drop. <laughs> like, the yeah. drop goes such a long way.
0: That's that's really like the crux of this movie. It's that it's like not not every character has these really like long elaborate flashbacks. Most Mm -hmm. of them don't, but yet you still always get a really solid idea for every single one of them of who they are fundamentally, like what's driving them, like and and if they change, you you have a clear like arc from the beginning to end and how they change and like what they learn. And it's never it's never very muddy. And anything that you aren't totally sure about, it's because it was deliberately deliberately left subtle, and that you can kind of pretty easily interpret it from context clues. So, yeah. oh, God, I love it.
1: <laughs> Ooh, you know another moment that I took for granted the first time, or maybe not took for granted, but just sort of ignored the first time because I was treating Peter as, like, the leader of that group? Mm-hmm. I think there's actually a lot of things that when you rewatch it, you realize that Peter's not leading that group at all. We're just mm-hmm. sort of conditioned to believe that. but. Um, there's a moment it's uh, it's right before Peter ties up Miles towards the end and Miles says you got to tell them I can do this and Peter says it wasn't their decision the first time I watched it and the second time I watched it and probably the third time I watched it I just was sort of like oh man Peter like how could you do that to him and then for whatever reason I was like I had this sort of like weird moment which probably I don't know if it's deep or not I have no idea if other people <laughs> caught this before I did um, or if I'm really making some sort of like incredible point um but at one point it just like hit me i was like oh shit it wasn't peter's decision either it was miles decision like (laughs) you know what i mean but i i I do think that's true like i don't think peter said i'm doing this and we're leaving miles behind it's really that like that group is like he's not ready because he's not making the right choice in his own context you know like he's telling us over and over he'll do this but none of us believe him it's not genuine it's not real like there's nothing behind what he's saying and so i don't think it was like peter you know said like they didn't make that decision i did it was more like a we didn't make this decision miles like you did the whole way yeah and i just like had this moment where i was like oh dude no <laughs> it wasn't <I> think... peter <laughs>
0: yeah no that's that's oh i love that because uh, yeah, that's how i, I had think...
1: been reading it each time i was like oh man peter betrayed you backstabbed not backstabbed him but you know what i mean where it's like yeah it's sort of like I, I I think we're sort of meant to read it that way, or it's how it reads the first time, which is like uh you know they had this trust or whatever, and it was actually Peter who said no, yeah
0: no, I think you're I didn't catch that either, but I think you're totally right because that just that just plays into everything like, yeah. the whole the whole theme of miles journey for this, so yeah man very insightful
1: uh. <laughs> It's a good frickin' movie. You could write so much about it. (laughs) There's
0: so much stuff. There's so much stuff. There's so many... There's so... Even when I was was watching it, like, for, like, notes, I was just like, I don't even... There's not even a point taking notes. There's so... There's just, like, (laughs) too much. There's too much. There's too much. You could spend... You could spend hours just reading really interesting, like, references from, like, IMDb and Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. You could spend hours just reading about the really interesting history of the making of this movie. You could spend hours just talking about every little joke that you like. Like, not even every joke. Just every joke that you like, like right. right.
1: You want to know what I spent too much time doing? What? Speaking of spending too much time doing things, I uh, looked into every single name in Miles' phone. <gasps> Dude. <laughs>
0: There's definitely, a, I could tell yeah. just quickly that there was a lot of them, so.
1: <laughs> I don't have definitive answers for a number of them, but like you said, some of them are obvious and some of them could be a stretch, but some of them I was like, oh, I didn't realize. But there's like a lot of writer names in there. There's a lot of Spider-Verse comic character names in there. Mm. There's there's some interesting ones. Um, Like, uh, obviously, Jessica Drew's name is prominently featured, but also Cindy M, Cindy Moon is in there. Mm. There is, I mean, Brian, Michael Bendis' name is in there. Sarah Pacelli's name is in there. Um, Jason Reynolds, who is the author of that book I was talking about, his name is in there,
2: Whoa, uh, which I
1: thought was really, really interesting, which then led me to believe that maybe the Liza who is in that is also a Marvel young adult author because I couldn't really find any prominent Lizas in the Marvel universe. Of course, any of these names could just be like production family members, Sure, but so many of them aren't that I feel like a lot of them are probably references. Um, There's a Caddy K in there, which like could be Catherine Bishop, who is on a team with Miles Morales in the comics.
0: Oh, cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. There's a Monica C, who is likely Monica Chang, who is a character um, from the comics. This is a weird one. Uh Uh-huh. And at first when I saw it, because I was going name by name, I didn't believe it. And then I became a believer. So one of the (laughs) names in the phone is Hal. Just Hal. Okay. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do what I'm doing for all these, and I'm just going to search the internet, Marvel, and then the name in it, right? Okay. So I searched Marvel Hal. And then what came up was a Marvel wiki article for Hal Jordan. And so I was like, oh, well, okay, that's it's obviously a crossover comic book. Like, that's not what they're referencing. That's stupid.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then there's also a Jordan Just Jordan. So I went back to that article and was like, why is Hal and why is Jordan appearing in this phone? And this is such a deep cut that it makes me love the phone. But there was apparently a character in one issue of a Marvel comic, not even a Spider-Man Marvel comic, just a Marvel comic named Hal Jordan, who is a pilot who appeared 10 years before DC's Hal Jordan. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. So I think somebody got cute and was like, Hal Jordan's not really a Marvel character, but there was a Hal Jordan. So what if we put Hal and what if we put Jordan?
0: fascinating yeah wow that's so cool yeah
1: notable because he was also a pilot right. which is what hal jordan green lantern is so
0: <laughs> yeah like what a weird coincidence yeah oh, so there's wow. a lot
1: of little ones in there there's an hh and i don't know what that stands for but i'm choosing to believe it's happy hogan <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> right so there's a lot of them in there i'll tweet out my list i guess because going through the whole thing would be stupid but <laughs> uh, uh,
0: there's so yeah. many things like
1: that. oh but that's this really... one's fun there's lavardus burr which like lavar burton uh, yeah. LeVar Burton's ah. first name is LeVardus. <laughs> oh, I have no cool. idea why LeVar Burton is in Miles' phone, but I'll take it. Hey, maybe he was an
0: inspiration of some kind yeah. or something like that. Who knows? Know. That's so cool. Ah. <laughs> anyway. Oh my God, I love it.
1: Ah. Make, make me stop talking about the phone.
0: that's fine that's fine you know my whole the rest of like my list of things that i liked are literally just like funny moments they're not even anything insightful i love i love miles thought bubbles like he becomes a main character so of course that's when you start seeing like all of his thought bubbles and everything and that one shot of like him just standing there with everyone knows period like behind him yeah and just like a giant text it's like oh god i felt that with so many times in my life like yeah that whole sequence is just like anxiety like that
1: one that whole sequence is, sequence is so good for so many reasons. My favorite being, uh, he's panicking. He's panicking. Oh wow, she's really tall. He's panicking. He's panicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like what? Yeah. What is that moment? I love it so right. much.
0: It's so good. It's so good. It's so like it feels so like real too. Like yeah. I've had I've had times like that, and I'm like, play dumb. Who is Morales? Oh <laughs> Not my that gosh. Dumb. That's, <laughs> That's the that
1: exact was... joke I'm thinking of when I was saying that some of the jokes wouldn't work as well without the comic sort of yeah. bubbly stuff because I do think it works better with the dialogue boxes right there yes like i know he's narrating a thought process but the way that they play the dynamic between the thought bubbles and his actual speech really just like leads into that joke so well (laughs) yes
0: and the movie is not is not very heavy-handed with using it 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 uses them it uses them only when it really needs to punctuate things yeah and and, which makes it like that much funnier when they come up like yeah ah.
1: well and it also it uses it to emphasize change right so like they d- those things don't appear until miles is bit mhm and then you get the you get the full sense that something's different and then they they wind that down you know yeah. like it, it 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 it's really really heavy when he first wakes up and then uh it sort of phase phases it out not entirely but enough
0: yo that's so true like, like as as his, as it becomes like more normal for him to mm-hmm. an extent like it kind of goes away yeah i love how they utilize the text to uh to portray spider sense too like 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 yeah. you literally see like look out on the screen and the spider oh. sense goes off like such that's a good thing. moment it, it's so good it's so well done and it's like i think that's one of the most challenging things is like how to portray spider sense outside of the comics yep. when you actually have to portray it in and cartoons and movies have all done it so differently and my, i like all of them to varying degrees but i think this is almost like the best way to do it because it it's so clear what yeah. he's what he's feeling at that mm-hmm. point like what his Spider Sense is telling him
1: uh does homecoming portray spider sense at all
0: homecoming never does that was a big point of contention for people i remember because they were like does this version of peter parker just not have spider sense because it's also not in civil war yeah and like that's why it was kind of when people people kind of freaked out when um the infinity war trailer dropped and you had his hair stand up which i think is a cool way is a cool like subtle way to do spider sense
1: well i think you know there's so many different ways to do and portray spider sense and with that there are so many ways to define what spider sense actually does yeah and different spider people have different spider senses I think it's it's possible to just say that like Peter Parker in Homecoming in the MCU can't do the things that he does without Spider Sense. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, that wouldn't I please the people who are upset about it, but that's good enough for me.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think that's <laughs> fair. I mean, he doesn't have like I mean, sometimes Spider Sense is very overpowered, so it- yeah. It definitely
1: helps with attention a little bit. But yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Sometimes spider sense is literally premonition. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is interesting. Like, uh, there was a line in this movie where Gwen says, "My spider sense led me to Visions Academy. Mm-hmm. I want to know more."
0: That was another thing that I think, um I'm just kind of peppering this these in a little bit these little observations. the yeah. other thing that I had read that was another criticism of the movie was that like it seemed to some people that maybe it was a little hacky the way that Gwen was just like just happened to be there, like just happened to appear like a week before or whatever, and then just happened to show up at all these places. My counter to that, I think, first of all, it's very like I think that's just another very clear indication that like the way this uh this interdimensional like portal worked is that like it, it's warping time and space. That's why you get a Spider Man that exists in the 1930s and one that exists mm-hmm. in the far future she just happens to exist like a week later like yeah. i think that's fair and then also i think like that whole process where she's so easily able to like become a student at a school and then go undercover as a scientist at alchemax like i think it's just a it's actually a really cool character beat for her because she's very clearly like portrayed to be extremely capable yeah and, but also like part of her part of her thing is that she's like trying really hard to be super independent and not relying on other people at all Um, Which I think just showcases that, that she is just like so used to being fundamentally alone all the time that she's almost like super, super good at doing everything by herself.
1: She also has a literal week to do nothing else but figure things out.
0: That's true. <laughs> that is very true.
1: Nothing else. I don't know why she doesn't. F- well, I guess I guess her universe is different enough that she wouldn't think to look for May Parker. But yeah, she's she's got a week to do nothing but figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, this movie starts at the beginning of a school year. So
0: yep. So there you go. Still a perfect movie. <laughs>
1: yeah. i mean she took an entrance exam at some point but whatever
0: yeah she's smart it's cool she got it you
1: know what she she took her entrance exam and qualified for uh work study as a result of her results so Whoa! There, there you go
0: i love it and that's how yeah. she made it into alchemax i dig exactly it. i dig it <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> Let's see other little details. I like the whole sequence when Miles kind of is first revealing everything about what was going on, and they're walking on the sides of the building back and forth. Yes, and like the shots are constantly changing their angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, A little while, like Miles is like slipping and falling like constantly. Yeah, uh, it's so it's so good. Another thing, just like Peter's stretching, where it's just like these little details that just add so much flavor to everything.
1: Yeah. One advantage to animating things is that even though you still do have to rig cameras in the environment you've built, you aren't as limited by real world physics as Mm -hmm. real world cameras are. And this movie does really, really cool things and fully takes advantage of that fact in putting cameras in different places that you couldn't necessarily put them and allows them to operate in ways that they wouldn't normally be able to operate. So like the, like you were saying with like the walking on the buildings and changing angles and doing things like that, or, you know, putting quote cameras, well, I shouldn't even say quote, they, they really do put, they really do build cameras, um, in the virtual environment, but like putting the cameras on the street, um, Mm -hmm. between cars while, while they're, you know, going through traffic or another example being like at the end when Miles dives away from them with the goober, Mm -hmm. he does that iconic Spider-Man thing where he like puts his arms and legs in and basically becomes like a pencil and like (laughs) slips through like a really small crack. They do this in the Spider-Man PS4 game too. Yes. Um, And I think they do it in Amazing Spider-Man the movie. It's just, it's amazing. And they, you know, you can do things like that because you can literally just like say, okay, this camera is going to follow Miles' head, not the environment. (laughs)
0: Uh, I love it. It's It's so, I don't think... I don't think people really give that enough credit like for animation like i no. feel like that's not a thing that you really think about you take it for granted like we were saying earlier that i don't think we really like think about how much is involved with animation but like not to get like, go on a whole tangent about this because i know this is a long podcast but um <laughs> <laughs> that's I, all right I, we'll do
1: timestamps, stamps i guess <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't but know
0: i know like there's like people have said like with king of the hill that it's like the, the plots are so basic that like why couldn't you just film it in live action like why did it have to be animated and i think like if you it's so weird you, but if you if you watch for it there are a lot of camera things that they do in that show that you couldn't do in a live action show like yeah. they play the camera placements and angles and like shots that they do even though the show is usually like generally slow paced and like the camera isn't doing anything extravagant mm-hmm. it's put into places that like to do it in live action you would have had to like construct a really like elaborate set for it to work yeah. So it's like it can be very small, but it still it still makes a really big difference on like the world of the thing that you're creating.
1: Well, you can you can make cameras disappear in animation. So like you don't have to build four different versions of Miles' apartment because you want to have creative camera angles. You can literally just put a camera in every single corner of the room and, quote, turn off the ones you don't want to be seen. They're not actually there, but you would have to figure out a way to, to make them invisible in a real set
0: it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, when you, when you say it out loud, so it's like, well, obviously, but then it's like, I but I don't think we really think about that. No. I think if you're like watching like any kind of animation with that type of eye, I think you will gain a lot more appreciation for the work that's being put into creating this. Yeah. Because it, it really is just like, there really are like creating, creating a world out of nothing in a way that like you, you can't do in, in any other, like, well, you can do it in other mediums in terms of like comics and stuff like that. Yeah. But like mediums in motion, like you can't really do that so yeah. outside of animation which is yeah really you don't
1: cool. go out and buy the desk chair you have to literally build the desk chair yes. every time <laughs> right <laughs> I don't think a lot of people do think about the fact that in these specifically the computer generated movies they build sets for those like the, yeah. and then and then they animate people inside of those sets it's right. not it's not like traditional animation like where you think of like oh this is just a really elaborate flip book like no it's not <laughs> right. they've built an entire physical world in virtual Reality, right? Quote: Virtual reality. (laughs) That actually means something now. So (laughs) (laughs) my nineties is showing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oof. (laughs) Yeah. Rapid fire, real quick. I like that Miles has the tag on his Spider-Man costume for like the whole time until it's gone. Yep. I I like that Doc Ock has like a bouncy exercise ball for a chair at her desk.
1: Yes. (laughs) I love that too.
0: Yeah. And I just love like the metaphor of like, that they all say like, it's good that I'm not the only spider person around. I feel like it's so powerful. Cause you can say that anything that like, that you like or feel like is your identity where like you have felt alone with it. It's that, that idea of like finding another person in the room that's like, like you or thinks the same way that you do, or likes the same things that you do. Like there's just such a, such a special feeling when you find people that are like, like you.
1: Yeah. They all start their origin story montage with, you know for 22 years i was the only spider-man or whatever
0: yeah for two yeah. years
1: i've been the only spider-woman
0: yep yep it's just like when you're when you're like the only queer person in in your small mm-hmm. town and then you finally am like wait you're like me like it's yeah. it's a. Uh it's a special feeling that it's hard to that's really hard to describe when you just like really feel like you're not alone anymore for the first time
1: yeah for sure yeah i uh this is a totally unconnected to to anything and it's just a a specific moment but i love it every time Please. the reaction to his spider bite i love the way they set it up and i love the way it plays out because they create the most dramatic setup for his reaction by doing the whole like now we're going under the skin and we're watching the venom literally go into his body and the music swells and all this sort of stuff and then (laughs) the music just cuts and he stares at it slaps it and walks away like it's so good (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing God,
0: it is so funny
1: because it also it plays on what you expect from superhero movies right like it plays on the like oh the gamma rays are transforming them and now we're gonna watch them scream in pain nope we're not doing mm-hmm. that today.
0: <laughs> well, well, also like playing on the kind of meta thing where people are always complaining like about too many origin stories. We yep. don't want to see the origin story again, so it's just yep. sort of like, oh yeah, no, we recognize that. We acknowledge that. We yep. are, we we acknowledge that. Uh, we, we acknowledge. acknowledge- <laughs> <laughs> we acknowledge that. But yeah, so like yeah, no, we we get that. That's why we're gonna we're still playing with your expectations a little mm-hmm. bit,
1: and they do. What other? I'm, I was just looking at like random things I jotted down. <laughs> I know that's what oh. <laughs> We don't pick the ballroom. We just dance. One of the best lines of the movie. Oh, so good.
0: good. Uh, oh man. Oh man. And oh, I feel like the Noirs match burning line. Like I burn matches down to my fingers just to feel something is like, actually, honestly, like all of his lines are always like, or yeah. like the biggest laugh lines in the movie. Oh, it's so well written.
1: The, the, um, the theater like laughed at everything he did and said. Yep. Like <laughs> just <too>. like unanimously. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I remember so one of my one of my coworkers who is only like mildly like really into nerdy stuff, but only mildly into like Spider Man history. Like loved that movie to death and was talking about it. Yeah. She was like, "Oh man, I wanna I wanna find like all of Spider Man Noir's comics right now," which is like cool. But I was also like, "He's not really funny. not really like the movie. <laughs> I mean, they're fu- they're they're fine, but yeah. they're not like the movie. So just just beware. Yeah. They're uh,
1: they're called Noir, <laughs> uh, yeah. and they." They weren't really that ironic.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. (laughs) oh yeah Uh, when we were talking about the spider it reminded me um, one of the other this is like the last like one of the only other like kind of criticisms of the movie was that it doesn't really explain where the spider comes from and it could be too confusing Yeah, but I think it's pretty retroactively clear because you see it glitching right from like the first second and and I think at first you could mistake it for being just like oh that's just a weird effect of this like the weird aesthetic of the movie but then Miles reacts to it glitching later on and then we see other characters glitching so I think it's pretty clear that it's just a spider that also came from another universe that was just popped out from a from a different time just like gwen did and that's why it gives miles different powers because it's from a different universe
1: yeah i don't think that's that important
0: i don't think so either because
1: a big part of of what peter okay so peter parker isn't special he didn't become peter or he didn't become spider-man because he was chosen he wasn't bestowed powers by a by any sort of like knowing being you know Mm. like he He's, he's not a god like Thor. He's not rich like Iron Man. He's not anything other than a guy who happened to be present for this experiment that turned a spider into this agent for superpowers. And that's that's why these Spider-Verse circumstances can even exist, is because everything is so much the flap of a butterfly wing mm-hmm. that so much is left to chance. So the spider that bites Miles in this movie doesn't need to come from anywhere in particular. But you're right, it does it does pretty clearly point to at least where it came from in relation to Miles.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: He's like a football field away from the collider.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the things that's sort of telling about the movie is that like when trying to look for like bad reviews on it, it's like so much of the stuff is based in like nitpicks. It's either yeah. nitpicks or it's just like, I didn't like the look of the movie. I didn't like, like how psychedelic it was and the blurriness gave me a headache or something. That's Which, fine.
1: I can deal with that one.
0: Yeah. Like, it's just sort of like, you know, like it's a thing that's that, that part I could totally see being not for everyone. I yeah. feel like, I feel like you should still be able to have some appreciation for what it's doing in spite of that. And if you yeah. don't, I feel like you're being a little obtuse about it, but I could totally buy like, just not enjoying the look of it and, and, and things like, like I get that. I also remember seeing a couple of things where it's just like, I think it's it's too much stuff going on. It might be too confusing for kids, which what kids have you met? Kids are going to love this. And kids already love it. So, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something, the only things, okay. Things are only too confusing for kids if the kids get lost. Yeah. Kids yeah. aren't going to get lost in this. If they don't understand what's going on, they understand like cool costumes, superpowers and like right. funny jokes.
0: Right. They're still going to love these characters and think they're really fun. Yeah.
1: Kids don't understand the nuance of Shrek, but they still frickin' love Shrek
0: exactly yeah yeah i think people look a little too much into like what they think the kid is or isn't going to understand and just be like yeah they they grasp more than you think and even if they don't grasp it they're still gonna love what they're looking at if it looks fun and cool enough i
1: recognize the irony of me saying this but adults are really terrible at determining what kids understand
0: dude seriously it gets on my (laughs) nerves because it gets on my nerves because and it's it's a thing that's like i have i have a hard time like really having a conversation with people because i don't have children and that's a thing that like so i can understand like when you are an actual parent it is a different perspective but, knowing kids, knowing friends with children, and remembering being a child myself, and having, like, growing up with, like, big age gap with my little sister, yeah. like, I also think, like, it's worth, like, remembering, like, giving kids a little more credit than, than they actually get. Like, yeah. kids like to be scared. Kids like to be challenged. Like, mm-hmm. and and kids don't really care about, like, continuity and stuff that much. Kid no. Can, a kid can pop in the middle of, of a show, of a highly serialized show, have no no idea like what the backstory is but if he likes the cool explosions and funny characters that are on there they're gonna love it it doesn't matter if they're confused
1: i work at a library where we split television seasons into discs separate (laughs) discs yeah and i promise you the kid that got like disc three of power rangers mystic force and disc two of spd and disc four of rpm is coming back to get more power rangers like i love that they like power rangers they're gonna come back (laughs) right I don't
0: know. Yeah. But I my whole. I have a coworker who has like a son who is, he's real young. I mean, he's only like three maybe, but mm-hmm. he loved this movie and his favorite toy is a Rubik's cube because of Spider-Man. Oh, noir. nice. Wow, yeah. Good for
1: Rubik's cube.
0: Right? So it's like, I don't know. I love seeing that kind of stuff. I love when kids are like just getting inspired in really cool ways from movies.
1: Oh, I have a question about noir and the Rubik's cube. Mm-hmm. Does Noir not know colors because his world doesn't have colors, so he doesn't know what to call them? Or does Noir not see color?
0: Oh. (laughs)
1: <laughs> i was thinking about this because when you see him later in his own universe the rubik's cube is still colored and i don't know if that's just so that we are to understand that he figured out how to solve it mm-hmm. or if he was struggling to identify purple because he's never known what the color purple is
0: yeah i because at first i was just like oh he just lives in a black and white universe but yeah. like i think it's just like a pleasantville type of situation have you seen that movie
1: I haven't. It
0: has Toby Maguire in it, uh which is a oh, fun connection. All right. But but yeah, I mean that's the whole the whole crux of it is that they it's a it's a black and white like old fashioned mm-hmm. TV universe and then as they start feeling like being emotionally honest and like having sexual feelings and stuff that they're not supposed yeah. to have in a in a wholesome 50s show, color starts to appear and it's like totally alien to them. Like apples existed and they would call apples like in their universe i think it would be like you would call it apple red but like what they saw of red was still just a shade of gray uh-huh. so i think it could be something like that where like they had the word blue and purple or whatever because they have different shades of colors yeah it was just like the vibrancy and like recognizing it they didn't have in their universe so this is his first time seeing like purple t- looking mm. like that you know what i mean I so think that's pop- what you're I think it-
1: saying is spider-man noir is in possession of the only item in that universe
0: Yeah. I think that's why
1: colors outside of grayscale.
0: That's why he in the the end credits, which like I don't know how canon they are or whatever, but like if we're to take that to be what's happening, he has like it's like a whole big like science expo thing where it's like showing off this incredible discovery. And I think it would only make sense if
1: Mm, that's something that's completely new to them. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Oh boy. Okay. I've burned through my list. Do you have any other little points uh, to get let to? Let me you?
1: see if there is anything else that I especially wanted to mention. Probably not.
0: Cool. Cool. The last thing it's um, if you're new to our show, we normally have faces of the episode where it's usually like funny or like weirdly animated things. This is being a perfect movie. There's no like animation mistakes or things. No. That are just like that's awkwardly done. Um, So it wasn't really, there wasn't really a way to do it normally, but there's a lot of memes that have been generated from this. Yeah. Movie. So I wanted to pick out some, some just like cool shots and like, close-ups are faces that like i really like that i don't feel like get it get a lot of love on the internet compared to other ones yeah so i have a few of them i love in peter b parker's montage um you see him like crying in the shower and stuff like that there's one moment where he just like his phone or alarm or whatever's going off and he peels his mask up and he just looks at it very tired and it's just like a perfect (laughs) distillation of what it's like to like wake up every morning for like for (laughs) work when you don't want to go it's "Mm, so good (laughs) not today (laughs) 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 um it's so quick but it's so indicative of that um another one from that montage that i really like that whole montage is so good and there's so many cool eye things that this movie does with like how expressive they are so uh, another thing that we talk about a lot in amazing friends they have so many shots of people's like eyes and people being Mm -hmm. reflected in their eyes or seeing flashbacks in their eyes um, there's a couple of instances in this movie, but the one that I wanted to call out is when when Peter has his like monologue about seahorses and how like can you imagine so a seahorse weird. mating for life? And it's his eyes are like the biggest they've ever been, <laughs> and it's like there's like actual like live action seahorses yep. reflected in his eyes. That his moment, song?
1: by the way, is like the perfect perfect way to describe the character that jake johnson plays yes. for this movie uh, <laughs> like he's he's like yes. crying at seahorses on the television
0: yes uh, so, <laughs> it's so good oh so god good. how how did they write how did they make this movie i don't know There's so many uh it's so genius we worship you
1: <laughs> lord miller
0: <laughs> this is another I burst out laughing. Yeah. More than anything else. There's so many funny things in this movie. This was like my personal like favorite funny moment because it's so <laughs> shocking when Doc Ock is like going after it for that last moment and Peter and Miles and Gwen are like prepared for like their big final battle. Like they even like say that like almost verbatim. Yeah. A truck hits her. Funny joke as it is, but, like, the reaction, like, the <laughs> fact that Peter, like, covers his mouth and grabs Miles, like, yeah. in a way that, like, I've done, like, watching a horror movie or watching yeah. something, like, crazy happen. Where you just, like, <laughs> grab the person next to you because you can't handle it. It's so funny. His entire so posture
1: perfect. changes, too. <laughs> yes. Like, he, he doesn't just cover his mouth. Like, his whole, he has, like, a full body reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Yes, yeah, because he goes from like being defensive and like ready to mm-hmm. fight to like hunched over and just like in complete yeah. awe it's so <laughs> good I love it. I love it. And the last one, it's just the bagel sound effect. when oh, so good. Uh, when Peter throws a bagel, which first of all, I love when a scientist is just like, he took a bagel. It's I know. so quick.
1: That it, is ugh. exactly the type of humor that f- that you were talking about early on that fills out the world, mm-hmm. but is so inconsequential. Mm-hmm. It's the t- all the little things that people are doing in the background or reacting or whatever. This is, is such a good example of that. Yes
0: yes the timing of it is so quick and so he took a bagel after he throws the bagel to scientists hits someone ahead and it has a sound effect that just says bagel with exclamation bagel. points like <laughs> the same way that you say like pow bam zah yeah. which Again, you can only do in a movie that already has these, like, comic book effects and yes. sound effects and stuff. And and I think I read that this was just, like, a joke pitch that they did that got animated anyway, like, was taken seriously. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, my God, this is, like, amazing. We have to keep this in.
1: Oh, for sure. Like, it's so funny and it's not what you expect because it's not a pow or a zap or a bang. And it's just dumb and I love it so much. It's
0: so good. It's one of those things where it's sort of, like, if you're trying to write something and trying to be funny, it's not going to happen. It only right. happens, like by accident or just sort of like when you're just kind of like joking around and like pitching stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just because it's like the most, the dumbest, like lowest <laughs> common denominator joke but yet it works so perfectly for the yeah. scene and it's so subtle. I'm pretty sure, I don't remember noticing it in the theaters. I don't think I noticed it until like second viewing for it. Yeah. So it's just like, and again, so un- inconsequential, but it's just like it, it makes the world so rich. It makes it a movie that you just want to wanna watch over again as soon as you finish it, you know? So uh, yeah, it's just so indicative of like everything I love about the humor of this movie.
1: So good. Since we're looking at that specific image, I just want to extend a thank you to Peter B. Parker for finally allowing me to cosplay a Spider-Man.
2: Oh, yes, I know, right? Because all
1: (laughs) I want to do... Is cosplay sweatpants Spider Man, and because <laughs> yes. he's supposed to be sort of like pudgy anyway, it's like perfect. Mm-hmm. I can just throw on like uh, not actually spandex, but whatever material. I'm sure there's like an Under Armour or something like mm-hmm. Spider Man shirt, and put on some gray sweatpants, and put on a trench coat, and I'm I'm I am cosplaying an actual Spider Man in <laughs> an actual Spider Man movie. Yep, uh, I'm so oh happy.
0: I love it so much. <laughs> Oh, my God. Well... We haven't exhausted everything that we could talk about with this no. movie, but I feel like we're probably exhausted. by this I'm story. very tired. Yeah. We could just keep talking. Make this a five-hour podcast where we perfect. just talk until you fall asleep. You oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wake up to like a, an 18-hour Audacity recording.
0: Have <laughs> fun editing this one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll spare all of you and spare ourselves, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, any yeah. other final thoughts about this 100% perfect movie?
1: Uh, well, you know, I set out to uh to see if your thesis was correct and uh i think i i think i'll sign your thesis
0: boom bam yeah thank you ma'am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's it's amazing i and like i said i watched it like three times in the past 24 hours and it, it really doesn't get old
0: oh boy well cool so if we want to ever hear you talk more about spider-verse watching watching it uh, like into infinity
1: yeah the, my list of uh of phone contacts if you Ooh, want to yes. find my tweet um where i put all of the phone contacts and my my thoughts on what they probably are um you can find me on twitter at icky i c k y b o o l e y and uh if you are needing something different after this four-hour jaunt into the spider-verse and you're into pokemon things you can listen to me over on the Victory Road podcast where we talk all things Pokemon here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network.
0: Word. Uh you can find me also on Twitter at Derek B Gale. You can also find me on YouTube for my show Second Chance. Um looking at uh Bad or Divisive Media, but looking at them with a positive lens, trying to find the intent of them, including Spider-Man 3, um, which some of the things we talked about in this movie kind of overlaps with some of the stuff that I talked about about those movies in yeah. that video. So things about choice and stuff like that. So uh please check that out. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. And I think if you like our podcast, you will like at least that video. But for our podcast, please give us a follow on social media and check us out. We like to post lots of good uh, or lots of fun goodies. Uh, we'll post the screenshots we were talking about from this movie. In addition to surely lots of other stuff, um, any fan art and things like that, we get our way. We will share that on social media as well. Um, but you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. All of them are at Walloping Web Pod. You can also email us at Walloping Web Snappers podcast at gmail.com. Um, You can also, uh, well, we would appreciate it if you rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use at least giving us a rating at the uh at the bare minimum that actually just doing that helps us a lot yeah being found on itunes uh there's plenty of spider-man podcasts out there but not one that's doing exactly what we're doing by looking at every cartoon ever so uh help other people find us by giving us a rating so it pops up in more searches mm-hmm. please also support us on patreon if you will um you can go to patreon.com slash walloping snappers we have lots of perks um, we have some commentary episodes that we're posting every month if you join us at that level um you you can also play our walloping word snappers game uh, you can give us some or you can get you can't give us you can give us money but you can also get <laughs> uh, you can also get uh, early access to episodes and you can even be a guest on our show yeah um, at our highest tier so please check that out uh, for some fun goodies uh, mm-hmm. but next time th- I we promise it won't be a four-hour podcast next time but there still will be a lot to talk about very excited about this one we're going back to school for the first episode of the critically acclaimed series the spectacular spider-man
1: i'm excited because you've been telling me to watch this show for years
0: i hope i haven't overhyped it
1: (laughs) i'm sure you haven't (laughs) i look forward to it
0: all right we'll see you next time guys Bye. Bye. Um, by the way, he's James T. Kirk in the, in the Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, he's James <laughs> T. Kirk in the, the Sp- star Trek, I keep doing it, in the Star Trek reboot
1: film series. <laughs> you can start the whole sentence over if you want to.
0: <laughs> I'm going to do that. Um, this is going to end up on the Bloober Reel, isn't it? Uh, um. maybe. <laughs>